here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Coming to you not live from the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network and available. To 93 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, this is your favorite wrestling podcast, the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am your co-host, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, the king of banter, Joe Lanza. And uh, Rich will be joining us a little bit later. And I mean that this time. I remember last time I told everybody that Rich would be joining us later. He never joined us. I don't know where he was. I don't know what he was doing. I guess he just didn't feel like doing the show that day. You know how Rich is. He's secretly sassy. And he likes to uh, duck out on his responsibilities from time to time. But no, seriously, he will be joining us on this show. And if you don't believe me, this is a podcast. This isn't live radio. Although we probably should be doing live radio. We'd be the best live radio uh, wrestling show in the world. I mean, quite easily. Uh, But this is not live radio. This is a podcast. You can slide your little gimmick forward an hour or two, hear Rich's voice, and then slide right back to this point in the show and listen to me. Or you could just, you could skip to Rich. I mean, you know, I know a lot of you guys can't stand me, so uh, you can go right to the Rich part of the show here. But we're doing the WrestleMania 2 gimmick. Split show. And uh, every time we do this, you know, just based on our schedules or whatnot, The rumors start up. Are Joe and Rich getting along? Is the split coming? So, I'll just let everybody speculate. Have your fun. Maybe it's split shows from here on out. Who knows? Maybe I'm sick of his shit. Maybe he's sick of my shit. But Rich will be joining us later. We got a lot to get to. Busy week. Busy week. King of Pro Wrestling. New Japan's back, baby. After that weak destruction tour and three very weak destruction events, King of Pro Wrestling was a tremendous event. I'm going to break that down for you. Hell in a Cell. Rich is going to handle Hell in a Cell duties because he's chomping at the bit to break down Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and everything that went down there and the continuation of their story. And I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to break down Dolph Ziggler, Bobby Roode, too. How bad was that? 
Not going to steal Rich's thunder. I'll let him bury that. We got Global Wars coming up. Rich will take you through that. He'll be at one of those shows live. But we're going to lead off here with a couple of WWE departures. And a topic that I believe requires a reasoned and well-explained man. Who better for the job than Joe Lanza? I am the only man in wrestling media who just takes it t- takes a story like this, covers it right down the middle. Fair, balanced, reasoned, well-explained. Because I see a lot of nonsense out there surrounding both of these stories. I'm going to tie them together. Of course, Neville supposedly walking out on Monday Night Raw, walking out of the company. And then uh, about 24 to 48 hours later, we learned that Jimmy Jacobs is no longer with the company. He had been part of the creative team. And I suppose we could start there with Jimmy Jacobs. Um, you know, I, I, I see a lot of criticism of WWE for cutting Jimmy Jacobs loose based on going outside of the arena a few weeks ago and taking a selfie with the Bullet Club when the Bullet Club did their you know, gimmicked invasion. Here comes my dog. I'm sure you guys could hear that little pitter-patter of her feet as she runs down the stairs here in the home studio. What's up, Madeline? Let's go sit on the couch. Go ahead. Dogs are excited here. Uh, yeah, so when the uh, Bullet Club did their uh, gimmick invasion of the WWE Raw a few weeks ago, hanging out outside the arena, very ill-advised. We didn't really talk much about that on this show, but um, I thought that was a horrendous idea for one person in particular, Marty Skrull. I have no idea why Marty Skrull participated in that. You knew it was going to piss the WWE off, and it did. I mean, they, you know... A cease and desist followed with the uh, NWO slash Bullet Club too sweet hand gesture. Clearly spurred and insta- you know and instigated by this Bullet Club uh, invasion deal, which was just stupid. I mean, to me, it came off uh, childish and lame anyway. But um, and and what is there to gain from it? It was the Young Bucks and Cody R and. Uh, Marty Skrull and Adam Page and look for the Bucks I don't think they care about going to WWE anyway I really don't think they do they do very well for themselves maybe later on in their careers they'll take a look at that I think WWE would take them in a second Um, you know but right now I don't think they care necessarily about poking the bear in terms of you know future employment blowing blowing opportunities for future employment Cody R again he just left there and he's doing tremendous for himself. I mean, for all the fun we have with Cody R on this show, which goes back years, which goes back to before he left the company. He's a listener. I know he's listening to this. Uh, for all the fun we have with him, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's you know, a, a, an enormous success story for what he's done post-WWE career. He's done tremendous for himself. He's marketed himself in a tremendous way. Uh, he's arguably the biggest indie star, um, you know, in North America, in the world. And, uh, you know, along with the Bucks, maybe even bigger than them. I mean, you know, he's he's right there. 
So he doesn't care. He, he doesn't have any plans on going back to WWE anytime soon. There's wrestlers in WWE going to him, getting advice on their own exit plans from the company. I know this for a fact. I can't give you the names. You know, I'm not, you know, I know that's a bit of a dick tease. I, I, I can't say the name, but there's wrestlers who go to him for advice on what, you know, on how to leave the company. And then Adam Page, who I, I just don't think has, look, I know he's a young guy. I just don't see him as having a ton of upward potential. So I don't think it mattered that he was, but Marty Skrull, I, I can't believe he participated in this. This is a guy who his end game, I thought, or at least should be WWE. I mean, he's got a gimmick tailor made for that company in particular NXT. I mean, he would, if he, picture Marty Skrull walking into NXT tomorrow and wa- and and walking down the aisle as a surprise. The villain. The villain. I mean, it's tailor-made. He'd be over like crazy. And that gimmick would get over on the main roster instantly. Instantly. If they just stayed out of his way and let him do what he does. It's a tremendous gimmick. And he gets it. So I have no idea what he was thinking, participating in this. Running the risk, running the risk of pissing that company off to the, you know, to, look, the cream is going to rise and if you're going to end up there, you're going to end up there. But who knows, you know, if he angered the wrong people with this, with this stunt, maybe it delays, you know, his entryway in that company by a year or three years or five years or seven years or 10 years. Who knows? I just thought it was silly for him to participate. The whole thing was silly. But he had a lot more to lose, in my opinion, than the rest of the Bullet Club people that were out there. And someone who clearly had a lot to lose was Jimmy Jacobs, who goes outside to hang with his pals, takes a goofy selfie, and uh, as reported in multiple outlets, it's at least, at minimum, part of the reason that he was let go from the creative team. Now, I got to tell you, even if it were just that alone, and it's not, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, but even if it were just that alone, I can't really kill the company here. I may have fired them too. And I see a lot of people out there saying, ah, oh, it was just a picture. These are his friends. What's the big deal? Prince Devitt took a picture outside TNA headquarters a few years ago. They didn't fire him. Listen, let's, let's, let's break this down. Let's bring some reason to this. This was a stunt that annoyed the shit out of the people who run this company to the point that they're sending cease and desist letters to the Bullet Club. Okay? This is a big deal. And you have a WWE employee who went outside to hang around with these guys and goof off with them and took a selfie which ended up all over the place. I mean, come on, show, you know, if you're Jimmy Jacobs, what are you thinking? I mean, you could snicker about the fact that your pals are out there under your breath or, you know, go hang out with, with Kevin Owens and laugh about it. And, um, but, but you can't go out there and participate. That's crazy. The bad move. 
You didn't see Kevin Owens going out there, did you? You didn't see AJ Styles going out there to, uh, you know, too sweet as pals, did you? You didn't see Finn Balor going out there, the club? No. Those guys were smart enough not to do that. What is Jimmy Jacobs thinking? I mean, I think most of the people I just named are big enough stars to where they could have survived it, but they certainly would have been punished. I think a couple of those names may have been fired. If you're just a replaceable member of the creative team, particularly one that Vince McMahon is not fond of to begin with, because he's not, and that's, you know, you dig deep enough, that's not even much of a secret. then that's just career suicide. Which is also why the um, the Finn Balor outside TNA headquarters uh, analogy is not analogous to this at all. Okay? Finn Balor, major star. Jimmy Jacobs, creative team geek. It's just not the same. There's a million people on the creative team. They're all replaceable. They, you know, it's it's like a running meme for the last fifteen years. How they run through creative team members. They're disposable. They're disposable parts. They're interchangeable. Especially if the big guy doesn't like you. And in and in the past, when Stephanie was involved in that part of the company. The stories are all over the place. I don't need to repeat them. If she took a dislike towards a creative team member, they were gone. Didn't take long. They'd be history. This is the entertainment business. It's very rare to hold to be Kevin Dunn and you know hold a job for 30 years. I mean, you, you, you piss off the wrong people, you're out the door. So, and and I got to be honest, you know, you've got, you know, these guys outside of the building, you know, mocking your company, trying to drum up publicity off of your back. If one of my employees went out there and took that selfie, I'd probably fire him too. You know, for the, aside from the cease and desist, WWE no-sold it. Just as they should have, they sh- you know that that was the right tack to take. And they got an employee going out there, bringing attention to it. I you know I can't kill them for firing the guy. I can't even if that was the only issue. Even if he was, if Vince McMahon was a huge fan of this guy, which he's not. I, I feel the firing was justified. I do, and I have no bone to pick or axe to grind with Jimmy Jacobs. I think he's a smart guy. I think like most people, my opinion of him is the same. I think he's a smart guy, a creative guy. We all, you know, the, 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 the Jimmy and Lacey stuff, you go all the way back to that in Ring of Honor. And, uh, you know, he's a creative dude. And I'm, you know, you know I, I've heard, you know, rumors of the things he had his hands in with this company. He's a creative guy. And he'll land on his feet. I'm not worried about Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy Jacobs will have a job in wrestling very soon. You know, wherever, you know, he'll have... 
promoters and, and, and wrestling companies, you know, lining up for his services. You know, he doesn't even have to get back in a ring. He's a creative dude and he has a lot of allies in wrestling. He'll be fine. He will be fine. But he screwed up bad. I mean, that was just a dumb thing to do. You didn't see anyone else and the Bucks and, you know, I named a bunch of people associated with the Bullet Club, but Cody's got a lot of friends in that company. You know, and it, you didn't see any of his pals coming out to put something on Instagram. Yeah, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. It's a bad move. No, it's just it's just a la- it was just a lapse in judgment. It is is what it was. It was poor judgment. It's not professional to go take part in that. It's just not professional. So bad job out of Jimmy Jacobs, you know, and he paid the price. You know, and this this is and 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 if if that were the only issue, he he I, I still believe it, he was justified. It was justified to fire him, even if he didn't have other issues in the company, whether it's you know Vince McMahon not being a huge fan of his, and um, you know, some people just you know they're going to view you as not worth the trouble. So that's 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 Jimmy Jacobs, which brings us to Neville. Neville walks out on Raw. Well, doesn't walk out on the television show Raw. Walks out on the company during Raw. As of this recording, according to official word from the company, he's still he's hasn't. He's still with the company. But he did walk out. Doesn't mean they've released him. I mean, he's under contract. So don't expect him to walk out on your local indie show this weekend. And I have to tell you, I don't blame Neville one bit for walking out. I think it shows a lot of guts. I think... You know, we talked about Cody R earlier, and you know, there's other people who have shown that they you can, you know, WWE is not the only path anymore, and 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 uh, you know, fortune favors the bold, as they like to say, and this was a bold move, but I think Neville's at a point right now. I think this 205 Live run of his, um, you know, has completely changed his reputation as a guy who was a super talented athletic wrestler to a guy who's a potential star, particularly at the indie level. And I thought, I even believed at the WWE level. So let's break this down and unpack it because I see a lot of criticism of Neville leaving um, over, you know, people saying that, you know, this perceived lack of push, but but he was being, people saying that he was being put, well, he wasn't being pushed. Okay, Let, let's make something clear right now. 205 Live is the kids' table of the main roster. That's what it is. It's the kids' table of the main roster. You're technically on the main roster, but you're really not. It's not main roster money. These guys don't work the house shows. 
two guys work the house shows. The champion and the challenger. Whoever is in the championship program that month is who works the road. Everybody else sits home. When you sit home, you make your downside. You're not making any money. But you got to be at TV on Monday because they're on Raw. But then you got to be at TV on Tuesday too. Nobody else does, but the 205 guys do. So even though you don't work the road, you get, get dragged to TV twice a week when you have to be there at 4.30 in the afternoon or whatever the fuck. And, you know, on Tuesday, those guys don't hit the ring until 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. If they get booked on the show at all, because it's 48 minutes long or 52 minutes long or whatever it is. And there's usually, what is there, three matches and maybe a backstage segment or two? Something like that. So you're not getting all 15, 16 guys on a given show. They refuse to do trios matches, which I, I'm not going to get into that now. It's not a topic for today. So you usually get three singles matches, maybe a tag. And one of those matches and one of those segments is going to be eaten up by whoever the champion is. So again, the champion and the challenger are taking up you know, the television time. So you're maybe getting four to six of the rest of the guys on that Tuesday TV. And then they don't work the road. And then, you know, in the case of Neville, a lot of his pay-per-view matches were relegated to the pre-show, most notably WrestleMania. Where he also had the indignity of having his match bumped off of the DVD. Which I'm sure, uh, you know, affects his, his, again, affects his bank account in some way. Because he doesn't make any money off the DVD sales. And then there's this little tidbit that I, we were that was whispered to us this week. From what we are told, the 205 live talent that made their way onto the 2K video game this year are not getting a piece of the sales like everybody else. They're getting a flat fee. Why? I don't know. Maybe because they the company perceives 205 live as because nobody watches it on the network, maybe they perceive it as, you know, those those wrestlers are not contributing to the sales of the game as much as the Raw and, and SmackDown wrestlers are, even though the 205 Live wrestlers appear on Raw every week. But from what I understand, they're getting a flat fee, and they're not receiving a, a piece of the game. So like every, Everybody wants to be in a video game every year because it's one of the biggest paychecks, that it, particularly for the mid-card and the lower mid-card talent. It's a, the biggest check they'll get all year or one of the biggest checks that they get all year. You know, it's really disappointing to be left off of the video game. It really hurts morale for the people who aren't in the video game. And then to get in the video game, and then you don't get that big check, you just get, you know, a flat fee. It's got to be a little demoralizing on that end, too. So you look at a guy like Neville. He's having the best creative run of his career. I mean, because he's knocked it out of the park with the King of the Cruiserweights gimmick, inarguable. I mean, you know, across the board, rave reviews. He's arguably been the best overall performer in the company this year. Again, not a controversial statement. Top five minimum 
Top three minimum. I think he's been the best. They promised the guy a legitimate push. Based on the fact that his work was so great on 205 Live, where you're not where he wasn't making any money. For all of the reasons I just talked about, most of the 205 Live roster is not happy to be there. Okay, can we make that clear too? You don't make any money on that show. It's the kids' table. And what do you get at the kids' table? You get scraps. So for all these people tweeting me when I argued that he wasn't wasn't ever given the push or the opportunities that Enzo received, telling me, how can you say he wasn't pushed? He was champion. He was main eventing 205 Live every week. He was champion. Doesn't mean anything. Don't be, you know, don't be a mark for the belt. And being on that show means nothing. Nobody watches that show. Headlining 205 Live is no better, is, is practically you know, no, no better or no more prestigious, and it certainly doesn't mean more to your, to your wallet or your bank account than headlining main event every week or the old superstars. It doesn't mean anything. It's a network show that can't even crack the top 10 on the network consistently. They don't go on the road. There's no money in that show. Most of those guys aren't happy. And Neville was not happy. Here's a guy doing the best work of his career. Clearly showing star potential. The company acknowledged it by telling him they'd they'd give him a shot and give him a legitimate push. And when I say push, I mean a real push on Raw. Not headlining the internet show against Jack Gallagher with nobody watching. I'm talking about a real push. And he never got one. And he showed up to Raw. He's probably happy they got that stupid title off of him so he can just convert to Raw and get the real push. And they tell him that he's losing to Enzo again in the Lumberjack match main event. And he walked out. And good for him. Because if I were Neville, I would see Enzo getting all of the opportunities that I never got. And you know what? This isn't even me being anti uh, Enzo. I have no problem with the company finally putting some effort into 205 Live and choosing Enzo as the guy to do that with. I have no problem with that. I talked about this briefly a few weeks ago on the show. I think Enzo does bring some uh, attention and some eyeballs to the show, potentially. The guy's over. He's popular. He's great on the mic. Pushes merch. I have no problem with giving Enzo a push. I have no problem with featuring Enzo on Raw. I have no problem with Enzo closing Raw. I think those are great signs for 205 Live, and I'm, I'm glad that they finally got behind it. But I could see where Neville would be annoyed. He never got those opportunities. He never got the push Enzo got. 
Same for TJP when he was champion. TJP came off of the Cruiserweight Classic red hot. Man, we we let off podcasts talking about this guy. We, we bumped up old interviews we did with him. He was the talk of wrestling, and that tournament was the talk of wrestling. And his promos were good. His ring work was stellar. He came off looking like a million bucks. He looked like a star. I could still envision that Cruiserweight Classic victory celebration. And what do they do? They put him on Raw. They give him the Calabunga Dude video game gimmick. They make him Bart Simpson. And surprise, surprise, he doesn't get over. Now look, I don't know if TJP would have gotten over anyway. But he never was given an opportunity. He was saddled with an awful gimmick. And he was getting random seven-minute matches in the first hour of Raw. Neville wins the title from Rich Swan. They give up on TJP. Neville wins the title from Rich Swan. And Neville is given random six-minute segments in the second hour of Raw or whatever the fuck. Guys, that's not a push. That's you're another disposable Raw mid-card wrestler. That's what you are with a fancy belt around your waist. Champion of a show that nobody watches. That's not a push. That's not a real push. That's a 205 Live push. And that's all well and good. And that's nice. Oh, I guess. It'll get you on a pay-per-view now and then. Sometimes the pre-show. Sometimes not the, you know, the Kira Tozawa match on the pre-show. WrestleMania, bump to the pre-show. But, it, you know, it, it's a nice little start to a push. Which I'm sure Neville was thrilled with at the, at the, at the start. And, but, you know, to the level that he was performing... He wanted more. And he had earned more, in my opinion. He had never gotten the opportunities that Enzo eventually got. And it had to be frustrating. And again, who knows if it would have worked. I don't know that Neville would have taken off had they built Raws around him and had him close Raw several weeks in a row like they're doing with Enzo. Enzo has closed Raw several weeks in a row. Enzo had an entire episode of Raw built around him. When did they ever do that for Neville? Never. Enzo was given a legitimate, honest-to-God push. A real push. No one else on 205 Live ever got that. So this guy got frustrated, threw his hands, and walked the fuck out. And good for him. Good for him. Like Cody R before him, and like Juice Robinson before that, I'm telling you, if he gets free from this company, he will succeed. I have zero doubt that Neville will succeed outside of this company. Promotions will be lined up around the block to, to, to use this guy. Are you kidding me? In Europe alone. In Europe alone. This guy, he basically had made it worldwide before the European indie boom. 
before progress was a thing, before RevPro was a thing, before WXW took off to the heights that they've reached now, before there was a million different indie promotions in Europe and the UK and Ireland and every, you know, the whole region. Everything he doesn't, he, everything's fresh for, for him there. There's so many fresh matches and, and promotions for him to work in Europe. He could moonwalk back in the Dragon Gate. New Japan would... would Gato's got to be salivating over the idea of getting this guy. I don't know what the fuck Ring of Honor does these days, but they got to be... You know, they got... You know, hopefully they'd be, you know, making a play for this dude. You would think that that... that Impact, Global Force, TNA, whatever the fuck it's called, would be making a play for everyone. I can't imagine anyone not making a play for this guy. He's got superstar potential, which WWE never gave him a chance to exploit. Again, I'm not saying that Neville or TJ Perkins were locks to be stars, but man, there were windows with both of those guys where they could have given them an honest-to-God opportunity, a real opportunity and it could have happened, but they never even got the opportunity. If they were given the, the same level of opportunity that, that Enzo is getting right now, and it didn't work out, well, that's, the, you know, that's wrestling. Sometimes pushes don't take. Sometimes guys just aren't superstars. But they never got a shot. And it's even more egregious with Neville. We complained about it with Perkins. You know, but Perkins is a guy who's been everywhere and we know he's tough to deal with or can be tough to deal with and he's never really been a top guy anywhere and, um, you know, uh, to be fair, neither is Neville, but, you know, it's this, this King of the Cruiserweights gimmick, I mean, you know, his performances speak for themselves, both on the microphone, in the ring, character work, uh, you know, maintaining kayfabe on Twitter, all of those things. He's great. And he's fed up. And he walked out. And good for him. And I hope he does uh, end up free. I really hope he does. He'd be a great boon to the indie circuit and wherever it is that he would eventually land permanently. He'd, he'd, be, a, he'd, he'd be tremendous. You know, just bouncing around Europe. Wherever he would end up landing in Japan, whether it's, you know, loyalty to Dragon Gate or ending up in New Japan. I mean, he'd be a perfect fit for Dragon... For, uh, I'm sorry, for uh, New Japan USA. English speaker, over with that type of fan. I mean, he's he, everything you need. You know, I you know, can't you see this guy in a long-term money feud with someone like Kenny Omega over that title? I, you know, so I'm all about him walking out. I think it was a smart move. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe they'll work something out. But normally, that's not the way to get a push in this company, is to pout your way home and then come back. So, I, you know, maybe it's better that he just, you know, exits stage left. They can come to some sort of agreement. But I respect those kind of guts. You know, we came on this show years ago and talked about how we respected the fuck out of C.J. Parker for walking out of that company. And using his pipeline to New Japan, who, you know, his his in at the time was Lord Tensai. 
you know, he, he, he made sure he had a safe, a soft landing. And a guy at his level, a prelim worker on NXT, you got to make sure you have a soft landing before you make a move like that. But he said, you know what? I'm hitting the reset button on my career and I'm going to do a different thing. Cody R, tired of working his stardust. Hit the reset button on his career and decided to do a different thing. And here we go with Neville. And don't think that there's not other people on the roster paying attention to how all of these situations play out. I can tell you that there are. This is a bloated roster. Especially when you consider the NXT side of things. It's a bloated roster and there's just not room for And I think you're going to see more of this moving forward. Let's talk a little King of Pro Wrestling. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Three very dry destruction shows. Not a great tour. But New Japan's back. King of Pro Wrestling was an excellent show. An excellent show with an excellent finish. To paraphrase VKM. Um, There's a lot happening here. There's a lot of news coming out of this show. A lot of setups for Power Struggle. And it was just a, a an excellent show um, on its own. And Rich is going to join the show in about, well, I don't know how long, but he will he will jump right in and talk Global Wars on the heels of my review of this event, which I also reviewed on the website, voiceofwrestling.com. Joe Lanza returning to the written reviews. Listen, the appearances are few and far between. So when I review a show, you got to read it. I reviewed the King of Pro Wrestling show. You can see all my star ratings there. Maybe I won't tell you my star ratings here on audio and I'll make you click the review. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll do that gimmick. Go to the website to see my star ratings for King of Pro Wrestling. Let's start at the top, the main event. Or is that starting at the bottom? What is that? Is that starting at the top or is that starting at the bottom? Start with the main event. And you know, one thing about this show, before I start breaking down Okada versus Evil, is what was interesting about this show is for, you know, most of the um, matches that mattered on the show, none of the outcomes were in doubt. You know, Evil versus Okada, no one in the building thought Evil could win. Naito versus Ishii, same thing. Ishii, no one thought Ishii had a shot to win. Um, Whoever Ropongi 3K was going to turn out to be, you're not going to introduce a mystery team and then have them lose, so everybody knew that they were going to win the junior titles. You go right up and down the card, and really none of the outcomes were, were in doubt. And despite that handicap, it was still an excellent show, which there's something to be said for that. You know, I suppose the Willow Spray Kushida outcome was in doubt, but you know, most prognosticators thought Osprey was going to win. I would say of the matches that truly mattered on the show, you know, with the exception of a couple of the early prelims, were you know, um, the 
redundant three-way for the IWGP tag team titles was the only match where the outcome was truly in serious doubt, where you just couldn't predict it. Any of the three teams could have won, just like all the three previous matches. So when you have a show where you know who's winning every, you know who's winning virtually every match, and the show still delivers at, I don't know, um, top 10 show of the year level, top 15 show of the year level, top 20 for sure. I mean, this had a lot of great matches on it. Then you know the work was stellar. So Kazuchika Okada successfully defends against Evil just like we thought he would. Evil comes out in this match on a throne carried by some geek druids. They did the druid gimmick. I'm not making it sound as impressive as it was. He really looked like a star. It was a really cool entrance for Evil, who, through the G1 in this match, has certainly been elevated to a new level. I mean, you know, he's he's gone from, um, you know, a guy who was at sort of the never level, um, second guy in his unit, which he still is, to this guy's a bona fide main eventer now. We know he can hang in the ring, and now they've successfully gotten him over as a guy who's a credible threat to beat anybody. So that's that New Japan star-building machine. Unlike that other company that we say they're star-building, Rich likes to say the WWE star-building machine is broken. The New Japan star-building machine is far from broken. They know how to elevate people. You can criticize. We destroyed New Japan booking the last few weeks on this show. But there's certain facets of New Japan booking that are just you know, top-notch, top of the line. And this is one of the star-building machine. Uh, they know how to make stars. And Evil is now a star. This show drew a shade under 10,000 fans. A little bit less than things like the G1 Final or Invasion Attack. But, uh, you know, 9,000 plus fans for this show. You know, again, on a show where Evil is in his first major main event. He main evented some shows as, you know, for the Never title, the Singapore show, a couple others. His first major show main event. And matches where the outcome aren't in doubt. I mean, you know, it's just a tremendous job. A virtual sellout. Sumo Hall. And the Evil Okada match, I've seen some mixed reviews. Uh, I, you know, that's not fair to say. I don't think we've seen mixed reviews. Mixed reviews would be if there are people who didn't like the match. And I haven't really seen any reviews of people who did not like the match. I thought it was a great match. Uh, and only a slight notch below Okada's top stuff this year. And those would be the Omega matches. For me, the Suzuki match. I know some people didn't like it as much as I did. Um... Uh, the Shibata match, of course, would be uh, in that group. I think this was a slight notch below those matches and above your, you know, Cody R match, Bad Luck Fale, um, which were good matches but not great matches. I thought this was a great match. I thought this was a little bit better than the uh, Tiger Mask W match, which I loved. I thought that Tiger Mask W match was just tremendous storytelling. But so was this. What was interesting about this match, and I know Rich isn't here, but I'll give you his take. He thought that this match started off great and then ended with a whimper. Not a whimper, but just didn't have the normal excitement of an Okada. You know, I thought the opposite. I thought this match started off slow and routine. Both guys going through their usual spots. And I thought it all turned when Okada went to do that cross body over the rail that he does on the outside, 
which was countered at the G1 by Evil throwing a chair in his face, which a couple days later was a spot that was stolen by Braun Strowman on Raw when he threw the chair. And I believe uh, it was on Raw or a pay-per-view, I can't remember. Threw the chair in uh, Brock Lesnar. I think it was either Lesnar or Roman Reigns' face. But basically the same spot. But in this case, they did a nice callback to that. And Okada ducked the chair mid-run and then completed the high cross body. Just just great attention to detail. A great spot. Looked awesome. Rewards the viewer for paying attention. And from there, I think the match really turned into something special from there. The work was clean throughout. The work was stiff and, uh, and effective throughout. Both guys performed very well. Um, but then there was another key moment in the match where it all changed, and the crowd was kind of split. And this was a pro Los Ingobernobles Japan crowd for all night long. I mean, they love NATO. Um, Tokyo loves LIJ. And they were split here, and I think it was because no one really bought Evil as a potential threat to win. So they were maybe, you know, the LIJ fans were a little hesitant to, to get behind a guy who they knew was going to lose. But there was an important part of this match where Okada, he had Evil down and he sort of did this cocky, condescending foot stomps to Evil's back. And Okada just had that great body language that he gets when he's being a cocky asshole. The most recent example being the Kojima G1 match, right? Where he's just being a prick to Kojima, who everybody loves. So he worked heel against Kojima. He was just a nasty prick. And that's what he brought here when he did those little foot stomps to evil. And that's when the crowd really got into it. So Evil gets up, he hits a big lariat, and knocks Okada basically out of his boots, and the crowd pops huge. The first huge pop of the match. And then Evil mocks Okada and does those same foot stomps to his back, and now the LIJ fans are into it. And now I'm into it. And then it was on. And the match was excellent from there. With a great closing stretch. And I'll tell you, there were subtle things that I enjoyed about the closing stretch, too. In that, it wasn't one of these epic Okada closing stretches where he hits three Rainmakers, but maybe he can't make the cover, or maybe he does the wrist, wrist clutch so the guy can't escape, and or maybe there's a million you know reversals of the Rainmaker. And No. That stuff he saves for matches with Omega, or Suzuki, or guys that are sort of perceived on that uh, top tier, Tanahashi. This match still had an exciting closing stretch, but it didn't have that epic closing stretch with guys kicking out of each other's shit and none of that. No wrist clutch, zoom in, none of that. You know... Okada escaped one, you know, STO attempt. Evil escaped one Rainmaker attempt. But, you know, when Okada finally hit him with that emphatic Rainmaker to end the match, you knew that was the end. So, it's like, Evil was put over enough in the match to where it helped elevate him. But he wasn't given the same respect, so to speak, 
in taking Okada quite to the same limit that guys like Omega and Tanahashi get. And nor should he at this point. It was a little bit easier for Okada to put away evil than it is for those other than it is for him to put away some of those other guys. And that was that that was subtle and it was smart. It was the right way to go. It was the correct story. Okada shouldn't be taken all the way to the limit against everyone that he faces. But evil in no way did evil look, you know, like a guy who had no business challenging. So it really was perfect from that perspective. I thought it was a great match. I really did. So Okada will move on to face Naito at the Dome. Naito defeats Tomohiro Ishii as expected. Um, supposedly the tickets are just, you know, selling faster than ever. Evan Deadly Sins, who covers that stuff, at Evan Deadly Sins on Twitter. Nobody covers uh, Japanese attendance as closely as that guy. Um, the, the You know, the floor tickets are sold out. We hear this every year, though. You know, doesn't it feel like every year we hear, you know, the Wrestle Kingdom tickets are selling faster than ever. The floor seats are gone. There's only like two sections remaining. And then everybody goes nuts and says there's going to be 60,000 people there. And then you turn around, there's like 30,000 people, which I mean, is nothing to sneeze at. But we always hear this. But supposedly they're moving faster than ever. More expensive. Like all the shows have been this year. The tickets are more expensive again. They'll probably break the Bushi Road, uh, you know, gate record with this show. And I do think that this Wrestle Kingdom is going to draw more fans, uh, you know, than they have, you know, in this era. This will be the, ugh, man, am I stumbling over this. This will be the highest attended Wrestle Kingdom that they've had since the, the you know, previous era glory days. Because I think this Okada Naito match is, is a super hot match that they've protected. And um, Naito is a super hot challenger. They've really peaked Naito at the perfect time. And I really think it destroys all of those arguments that we heard over the course of the last year and a half that Naito, um, you know, should have had an IWGP title run. False. False. He'll get it now. He's going to win this match as well he should. I think he should beat Okada here. But if he had been in a title mix or had the title all of this time, then you don't have this match at Wrestle Kingdom. They've cleverly built to this. And it's the hottest match in the company possible. So they're going to do it. As my phone rudely goes off here. So it happens with Rich isn't around, huh? So it's the right match. It's selling a ton of tickets. So for all this talk about the potentially loaded Wrestle Kingdom show, I'm not even sure that they need it. But we got plenty of time to talk about that in the coming weeks and coming months. Naito defeats Ishii. This is going to surprise you. They had another great match. These guys just have incredible chemistry. And I broke it down in my review. I uh, talked a little bit about the last four matches that they've had. And it even goes back further than that. But I went back to that wrestling Dantaku match last year where Ishii challenged Naito for the title, which was, you know, Ishii's performance in that match is one of my favorite, you know, singular pro wrestling performances of all time. I mean, I got emotional on this show talking about it, of how good he was. And this was another great match between these two guys. 
You know, I don't want to see this match again for a very long time. This was their third match this year. They had two matches in the same month earlier this year. Both great matches. But this was another great match. The last three matches on this show were all great. Will Ospreay finally wins the IWGP junior title. Defeats Kushida. If you want to hear us bury the booking leading into this match, you can listen to the shows over the last two weeks. I'm not going to do it again here. It is what it is, and we got to move forward. I'm happy that Will is champion. I'm happy that he's finally going to get some focus. I think he's been the most, to this point, one of the most underpushed guys in wrestling. Can't say it anymore now that they're pushing him a little bit. But um, here's the thing about Will Ospreay, and I'm not going to sit here and break down this match move for move. It was a great match. I didn't think it was as good as the best of the Super Junior Final, though. That was a better match than this. But this was a great match. The thing about Will Ospreay is I think... And this is a weird thought, and it's going to sound weird. I think he's one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world. And that sounds strange because he certainly gets plenty of hype. I think everybody knows he's good. But I still think he's underrated. You know, we're doing this Fighting Spirit Magazine Top 50 again this year. Um, You know, for Fighting Spirit Magazine. and, And I'm going to be part of that panel. And uh, we have to get our preliminary lists turned in, you know, in the next week or so. And I'm going over my notes and I'm looking at things and I'm building my top 50 for the year. I cannot justify putting Willow Spray any lower than fifth. And he may make my top three. He's that good. And I think we take it for granted how great this guy, this guy is great. I mean, this isn't the guy from 2014 who didn't give a shit about selling anything. He's a real, legitimate, well-rounded, refined, awesome pro wrestler. In fact, I think he's one of the best sellers in the world. If anything, if anything, Willow Spray oversells. I would say that he oversells before I would say that he doesn't sell. He sells too much. When it comes to match-to-match psychology, I mean, you know, top and top of the line. Just watch the Ricochet matches and watch them with an open mind. Don't get wrapped up in the flips. Those guys, you know, they, they, you know, each progressive match played off things that they did in, in a prior match. Not in all of their bouts, but most of them were connected in that way. And for a traveling match, which, which is what that was, I think they did that match in like a half a dozen different promotions or something. A lot of times when you get a traveling match like that, you just basically go do the same match every time. And they didn't. Willow Spray isn't good. He isn't very good. 
He's fucking great. This guy is great. Athletically gifted. Does the small stuff now. Because he didn't in 2014. He just didn't. He was a flippy-do guy. And a very impressive one. The criticisms were valid then. They're not anymore. If you're still hearing criticisms that this guy doesn't sell, they're coming from someone who hasn't watched him in four years, or they're coming from someone old and crusty who doesn't understand what pro wrestling is anymore. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Someone trapped in a prior decade or something... In the, in, the, in, the, in the scope of modern pro wrestling, this guy is a complete pro wrestler. He just is. If you don't like what modern pro wrestling is, that's an entirely different topic. But, yeah, the guy's great. And he's well-rounded. He does it all. I mean, even his short heel run in progress. You know, you know with the... He had a brawl with, Jimmy, with uh, Jimmy Havoc that I thought, you know, was one of the best matches in progress of the year. And one of the best Will Ospreay matches this year. And... Here's the thing about Will Ospreay. In term, and this is why he's one of the best in the world. In terms of when this guy has a big match, okay, he has the highest batting average probably in the world, including Okada, for when he has a big match in terms of it delivering at a match of the year level or a, or, you know, a, a, or a, a, a similar great match level, whatever you want to call it. This guy never lays an egg. It's always a great match that leaves you thinking, this is one of the best matches I've seen in this month, this year, whatever. So I think he's, I do, I do think he's underrated. I do. So I think if you asked a lot of people, smart people, pick your pundit. I, you know, who are the 10 best wrestlers in the world? He might not come up on a lot of lists, but he should. Marty Skrull, well, I'm sorry, Hiromu comes out to challenge. But then Marty Skrull hits the ring, does the old finger break gimmick on Hiromu, and steals the challenge and will face Willow Spray at Power Struggle. Look, I thought this was an entertaining segment. But I got to tell you, this whole gimmick of Hiromu coming out to make title challenges and then somebody coming out to beat him up and steal his challenge, it's a little too WWE gimmicky to me. A little bit. A little bit. You know, it. it's obviously something fun and it's obviously going somewhere I get it but I'm sick and tired in this company I don't like random guy comes down the aisle to make a challenge to begin with I think it's lazy I think title shots should be earned in some capacity but this idea that someone could just come down to the ring beat up Hiromu and take his title match I don't know. It's save that stuff for WWE. I really wouldn't mind it there. And that's not me putting down WWE either. I just look, context is everything, and I think certain things work better in certain contexts. Every promotion is different. I mean, it's not something I hate. I'm not going to, you know, 
throw Gato under the bus for something, but it's just not something I'm in love with in this company. And my fear, honestly, now look, Osprey is going to beat Skrull at Power Struggle. And I think that's awesome. We just talked about the Osprey-Ricochet traveling match. I think it's great that New Japan is giving us the Osprey-Skrull match as a title match. You know, they, they did it at Best of the Super Juniors, which was awesome. They put them in the same block. And now they're giving that this, this great traveling match of Will Ospreay, Marty Skrull. Again, another match that's happened in like a half a dozen promotions around the world. And they're doing it as a, a, as a junior title match on a major show. That's, I think that's awesome. And it's awesome from that perspective and also that it's a good challenger for Will to beat, to give a little meat to his title run. It's a longtime rival of his all over the world. I'm sure they can play that up. It's a guy that he can beat with, you know, it's, it's you know, Skrull's basically a part-timer here. It doesn't matter. But my fear is after the Skrull match, we're headed towards either a three-way or maybe even a four-way at Wrestle Kingdom, and I do not like that idea. I'm all jacked up for Will Ospreay versus Hiromo. We talked about it last week. I think that would be a tremendous dome match, Will Ospreay versus Hiromo. But what do you do with Kushida at that point? I don't think they're going to bury Kushida in some prelim tag match. I can't see it. I just can't see it. And based on the Super Junior Tag Tournament pairings, it doesn't look like Kushida is going to take on a partner and challenge for those titles at at the Dome. Because he's teaming with Kawato in the tournament, which is awesome too. You know where we stand on Kawato, but they're obviously losing in the first round. So I'm not hyped about the idea of what's looking like is trending towards a three or four way at the Dome where you probably get Osprey, Hiromu, Kushida, and possibly a fourth man. Whether it's a Marty Skrull, a Dragon Lee, whoever. It'll probably be a good match, but I, I really had my heart set on Willow Spray versus Hiromu. I really did. And hopefully that's what they do. Look, Kushida has been had a great two-year run here. I don't think it would kill him to work a prelim at the Dome. Look, sometimes it's just not your year. We've talked about this in the past with the way WWE treats the uh, some of their female wrestlers. And um, look, like... We talked about this WrestleMania time, you know. Just give us the one-on-one match. If that means that Sasha Banks sits on the sidelines this year, too bad. If that means Becky Lynch sits on the sidelines this year, too bad. Get over. Be the hottest act going into the biggest show. And you get on the biggest show. It's not charity. And I think sometimes these promotions treat these major shows like charity and they got to shoehorn everybody in. I don't believe in that. Give the fans the hottest match with the hottest people. And if Kushida or Sasha Banks or whoever don't like it, well, you know, work harder next year. I don't get every promotion I want in my job. I don't get every opportunity I want in my career. Look, Work harder. Do better. If you're talented, you'll rise. I'm not worried about Kushida. I'm not worried about Sasha Banks. 
They'll get theirs. They've gotten theirs. But to me, the hot match going into this thing is Will Ospreay versus Hiromu. I don't need Kushida shoehorned in there. I just don't. Let him work a tag and and eh, shit. Let him score a fall. And let him get the new beginning challenge. Whatever. But I don't want him in this match. Kota Ibushi and Juice Robinson defeat Hiroshi Tanahashi and Togi Makabe. We joked that this was going to be a struggle between Tanahashi and Makabe to see who could do the least. Didn't turn out that way. All four guys worked very hard in this match. I thought it was an excellent tag bout. I'm throwing around the word excellent a lot. It was a, it was a very good tag bout. It was a good tag bout. It wasn't excellent. Excellent implies that it was like match at your level or something. It wasn't that, but it was very good. It was enjoyable. And surprisingly... And not enough people are, are, are making this point. Juice Robinson pinning Toki Makabe here. That's a big scalp for Juice Robinson. It really is. Guys, you know, check the results. Togi Makabe does not lose a lot of falls. You know, when Hanma's around, Hanma's his pin eater. When he's in six-man tags... He's hardly ever the one taking the fall. Togi Makabe, no matter what you think of him, is a protected guy on this roster and a semi-main event level guy. He's an upper mid-carder. He's an upper mid-card guy in this company. Hasn't been this year. We speculated as to why last week. I think, you know, the you know Hanma out with the neck injury has totally... They just don't have a role for Makabe right now. I think Great Bash Heel would have been an important part of the tag scene this year. So he's kind of sitting the year out. But normally this is an upper mid-card guy and a guy who does not take falls. And I think it's very significant that Juice Robinson scored a fall on Togi Makabe. He rolled out of the way of the King Kong knee drop. He hit the pulp friction. And I'm sitting there saying there's no way Makabe's not kicking out of this. And he didn't kick out. And the way Juice sold it, there's GIFs all over the place. GIFs, I'm sorry. GIFs. Hope Rich doesn't hear that. He doesn't listen to my shows. Of course he's not going to hear that. He's a big jerk. Um, There's GIFs all over the place. Go look at Juice Robinson's reaction. He sold it like a big moment because it was a big moment. I know you're sitting there saying, well, he already beat Kenny Omega. Yeah, but that was the G1. And upsets in the G1 to set up title challenges, that's kind of routine at this point. I'm not saying it wasn't a big win. It was certainly the win that put a stamp on Juice Robinson's elevation. But this is a big step. Pinning Togi Makabe on a show like this is a big deal. It really is. Kenny Omega, Cody, and Marty Skrull defeat Yoshihashi, Beretta, and Jado. Sometimes what happens is Chaos will run out of team members on a show and Jado will have to wrestle. And it's ugly. Remember that this is a guy who retired due to injury issues with his back. So when he's forced to get back in there, he's just not mobile anymore. He's stiff as a board. He tries to get by on comedy and it's hard to watch. Skrull beat him with the chicken wing in a very awkward finish. 
to get to that chicken wing. Jado just can't move. And of course, Skrull scores the fall because later on he was going to earn the uh, junior title challenge of Will Ospreay. Omega largely took the night off. This was fringe tights t-shirt, Kenny. Didn't work hard. He's got the title match coming up with Yoshihashi in Chicago for the U.S. title, which Rich will talk about, and he'll be there. He doesn't seem to be taking that match very seriously because this tag bout didn't put a ton of heat on it. And Cody? Cody just exists. I have no idea why they booked this man. I legitimately have no idea why they booked this guy. He's not over in Japan. Well, you know what? I say that. You hear these stories that, you know, his t-shirts sell out and all this, but he doesn't get any reactions. He does not get reactions. So I don't know who's buying the shirts. And he certainly doesn't work hard. And I don't think he's a good enough worker for this company, at least not for the top. You know, just watch the Okada match. He just wasn't in Okada's league. But, you know, they're going to book him on these big shows and we're going to, you know. It's not like you have to endure Cody. He's just there. He's just there. The fourth and final three-way for the IWGP Tag Titles, Killer Elite Squad. Wins the final two bouts. This one was a tornado match with elimination rules. And you know, we've picked on this series of matches a lot on this show. Our, our previewers and our reviewers of these New Japan shows have ripped these, these matches to pieces, and particularly the booking. But you know, each progressive match got better. And I thought this was a legitimate four-star match. They went out there and kicked ass and worked their asses off. You know, and I wrote this in my review, but you got to remember, these guys have no control over the booking. These are just six guys that go out there and are given a job to do, you know? And um, they worked hard every time out, all four of these matches. They were all very good matches. This, I thought, was, a, was a, a, an excellent match. And, um, you know, and and they're human. I'm sure that they're tired of facing the same guys on all these shows. And they want an opportunity to stand out and have great bouts and have the fans be into what they're doing and all those sorts of things. And they find themselves in a mid-card bout against the same opponents for the fourth major show in a row. But they, you know, and it would be very easy for malaise to to settle in and to not work hard. But this is a great match. Big credit to all six guys. God eliminated first. Then War Machine goes down. And War Machine had very similar body language to Ricochet, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, to where it felt like they're done. Now, I don't know that for a fact. For all I know, they're not on the next tour, but for all I know, they could be on the World Tag League Tour and I'll look like a fool. But it just seemed like their body language was indicative of a couple of guys who weren't coming back. And I know they do the bow deal after all of their matches. It wasn't just that. It just, I felt it in their body language. So we'll see. And I know there's some new teams. We talked about Riddle and Cobb as one of them. And, um, you know, some possibilities for some other teams showing up at, at World Tag League. So maybe this is it for them. 
If so, I think War Machine had a very good one-year run with this company. I liked everything they did. In spite of very weak booking, you know, around them. Rocky Romero debuted his Ropongi 3K charges. Turned out to be show and yo. Show Tanaka and Yohei Komatsu returning from Excursion. An excursion that took them through February 2016 to about September of this year. About 75 bouts apiece. Mostly in CMLL and Ring of Honor. Ricochet takes the fall. The Rapongi 3K finisher for now is called the 3K. It's a uh, double team move, a flapjack into a complete shot. And it looks really cool. Looks really cool. The tag team looks cool. I mean, they've got new gear. They've got like shiny gear. They've got new hair. They've got new haircuts. They're like party boys, I guess is the idea. The whole Rapongi, you know, gimmick. You know what they look like? They look like, and I said this on Twitter and in the review, they remind me of like an undercard, like a sleazy undercard, like DDT undercard team or, uh, you know, a sleazy heat up or Dove Pro team who accidentally were given gym memberships for Christmas and got into shape. That's what they look like. You know the kind of wrestlers I'm talking about. These sleazy-looking undercard guys in the Japanese indies that don't look menacing at all and they have shitty gear. Well, this is like the upgraded version of that type of wrestler. They, they look, you know, they've got upgraded gear. It looks like they go to the gym. And they really looked great. They, you know, these guys were... Look, we've been talking about them for years on this show. We thought they were among some of the better workers in the company before they left, which is ridiculous for, you know, young lions. And now, you know, here they are. They're going to get a big push here as a junior team. The big key here, the big key here, this is a native team of homegrown guys in a division that has been dominated by outside Gaijin teams for the better part of what? Almost five years now. So a division that, sometimes lacks a little juice because of that. Never lacks in the match. The matches are always good. And remember, Bushi got into hot water for this, for saying publicly that the junior tag matches, he called them bathroom matches because the fans aren't interested in the foreign wrestlers. And all the foreign wrestlers took exception to that. And they still talk shit about Bushi. I saw the Bucks do one of their... uh, you know, online chat gimmicks and the topic of Bushi came up and they were all very condescending towards Bushi. There was that, you know, that that story that Kyle O'Reilly shot on Bushi in a match to sort of teach him a lesson for those comments. But now what we have here is a homegrown native team on top of the division. So maybe a division that has given us good matches but has lacked juice will give us a little bit of juice with this team on top. You know, it's a division that, it's like good matches, but there's no heart. There's no soul to the division. It's soulless. The booking is lazy. 
So, I don't know, maybe this team can bring a little soul to a soulless division. And it looks as though Ricochet might be done. Again, body language is important. He's throwing his tape into the crowd. He's taking a long look at Sumo Hall. And then he's not on the next tour. And Ryusuke Taguchi is teaming with ACH on the next tour. Good for ACH. If he got Ricochet's spot, that's awesome. ACH is a guy who has matured. Um, You don't hear nearly as many stories about ACH as you used to, whether it was fair or unfair, true or untrue. He had a reputation for being a little immature. You don't hear as much of that anymore. He's become sort of a seasoned pro. And it looks like he's getting another tour with New Japan, which is great. He, uh, ever since Tokyo Dome, when he uh, debuted uh, against Tiger Mask W, as I unmask another wrestler, he's had sporadic tours this year, you know, best of the Super Juniors, and now he's coming back for the Power Struggle Tour where he'll take part in the uh, Super Junior Tag League, not Tag League, Super Junior Tag Tournament, which I'll talk about in a minute here before I pass the torch here, pass the baton, so to speak, to Rich. Hiroki Goto and Toru Yano defeat Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. via countout. Minoru Suzuki was tying Toru Yano up in rope, but then Yano kicked him in the balls, snuck back in the ring, beat the 20 count, and won by countout. So, this sets up Yano as the next never-title challenger for Power Struggle against Suzuki in a bull rope match. That's right, a bull rope match in New Japan. Nobody wants to see that. And I'm sure it'll be horrendous. So overall, I thought King of Pro Wrestling was an excellent show from start to finish. Even the matches that weren't like great matches or anything featured a lot of storyline advancement and things that you need to pay attention to if you're a fan of the company. So, you know, big thumbs up from me. Very good show. Using the Dave Meltzer scale, thumbs up, thumbs down, got to be a thumbs up show. Has to be. Nothing not to like. And there was three or four great matches here. I think the last, the final three matches were great matches. I thought the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the tag team three-way match was a great match. And I thought that the junior tag title change with Rapongi 3K was very close to being a great match, but didn't quite get there. But that wasn't the purpose there. That was to establish Rapongi 3K as the champions and the new top team in a division, which is a nice segue to the Super Junior Tag Tournament, which will run... On the Cork and Hall shows, there's three Cork and Hall shows on the Power Struggle Tour. And then, you know, so you'll get the first two first-round matches, then the second two first-round matches, then the semifinals on the third Cork and show, and then you're going to get the final November 5th at Power Struggle. Let's run through the brackets and the teams, and then we're going to hand this thing off to Rich. Harai Kawato teams at Kushida. They take on Rapongi 3K. Obviously, Rapongi 3K is going to advance there. They will face the winner of Bushi and Hiromu against Dragon Lee and Teton. Good to see Dragon Lee back. I'm a big fan of Teton. Good to see him back. As usual, I think the CMLL guys are here to do job duty. But the interesting thing here, we've got Hiromu, we've got Dragon Lee on opposite sides. Tremendous rivals, always deliver. And I believe that's the main event of the Corican show on either the 23rd or the 29th. So again, Hiromu. 
You know, a guy who has main event potential. I just, I, I hate to see him sunk with this Daryl thing. I, I just, I fear it, man. I fear it. But I think Bushi and Hiromu advance from there. And then that's an interesting match against Rapongi 3K in the semis because generally the champions will not win this tournament because they're using this tournament to set up challengers. But when they lose, is kind of fluid. They can lose in any round. So, you know, if you're trying, if you're setting up Bushi and Hiromu for a for a uh, a title match at the Dome, then they can knock off Rapongi 3K in the semis. The problem there is if they go on to win the entire tournament, which they should if they beat Rapongi 3K, it takes Hiromu out of a title a title challenge for the junior title because he'll be involved in the tag. So I I don't see that happening. So I think Rapongi 3K gets past Bushi and Hiromu. Although it would be a nice kind of, you know, unexpected twist if that's what they're doing with Hiromu at the Dome. But then what do you do with Will Ospreay? Do you do Kushida again? It'd be a great match, but it'd be kind of boring, wouldn't it? Boring from a booking perspective to do Kushida Will Ospreay again? I don't know. I'm just kind of... I like Kushida. I pushed for him to be pushed for years, but I think he's had his time. I want to move on here. At least for now, and get away from Kushida. Jushin Liger and Tiger Mask face El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Another little thing I'm happy about here is the Suzuki Gun Juniors have kind of, they've put them back with the partners they belong with. No more Kanemaru teaming with Taichi. Kanemaru is back with Despi. That's my favorite combination of, of Suzuki Gun Juniors. They're back together. And Taichi is back with Taka. Where he belongs. They will face ACH and Reisuke Taguchi. And I think either of those matches can go either way. Obviously, you're not going to have the two Suzuki Gun teams face each other. So one result will tip off the other. You live with that. Nothing you can do about it. You suspect that Taguchi is going to advance. So obviously, the smart money is on Taguchi and ACH winning their bout. And then facing, um, you know, well, you know, I guess it could be either of the other teams, but you would think that Despi and Kanamura would advance. They don't ever push Liger and Tiger Mask, longtime partners. I did hear a theory. I did hear a theory from our own, um, our own Dylan, who writes reviews for the site, does the uh, Month and Pearl reviews. He thinks Liger and Tiger Mask are winning this tournament and will be the title challengers at the Dome. Sort of a one last hurrah for Liger, and for Tiger Mask for that matter. It gives them something to do. It's an interesting theory. I just can't see them going there. I think Liger and Tiger Mask are headed for the Rambo. I don't think Liger's interested in pushes anymore. I don't think he cares. He'll work the shows. He'll help sell some tickets. He's still a star, especially in America. I think Liger absolutely should be booked on the New Japan USA shows. Huge star here. Always has been. But I don't think he's interested in being pushed anymore in Japan. I really don't. But it's an interesting theory. It it would be a a cool story if Liger and Tiger Mask did win this thing and beat Rapongi 3K in the final, setting up a dome match. I wouldn't have a problem with that. 
So I think the bottom half of the bracket is more interesting. But, you know, I think Taguchi advances with ACH, and I think that uh, they'll face Desperado and Kanemuro in the semis. And um, really, from there, I think either team could win and go on and face Rapongi 3K. And then, uh, you know, the smart money is on ACH and Taguchi to then beat Rapongi 3K in the final. And uh, look, Taguchi had a good year. The whole Taguchi Japan thing, his tag team with Ricochet, the funky future. Um, you know, I think that it would be a nice reward for Taguchi to give him a dome match that means something. Meaning a title challenge along with ACH taking on Rapongi 3K. So I think that's the direction they'll go. Would it shock me if Desperado and Kanemuro won the tournament? No. Would it shock me if if Dylan is correct and it turns out to be Jushin Liger and Tiger Mask? No. It wouldn't even shock me if it's Taichi and Taka. You know, they Taichi inexplicably gets, you know, a half of a push now and then, you know. But um, I think it would surprise me if Bushi and Hiromu knocked off Rapongi 3K and they went in that direction with Hiromu as opposed to uh, a singles match. But I'm pumped up. I think that's a good, fresh field for the Super Junior Tag Tournament. You got Rapongi 3K. You got Harai Kawato taking part in his first ever Super Junior Tag Tournament. You got Dragon Lee and Teton coming back from CMLL. You got Hiromu and Bushi. You got ACH coming back. There's a lot of, of fresh stuff here. You got the two Suzuki Gun teams back together after injury sort of forced, you know, those guys to team with, with the wrong partner for a few months there. Even though Kanemuro and Taichi, you know, did good things together, it never felt right. It fit. Taichi belongs with Taka and Despi belongs with Kanemuro. That's just, that's, that you know, so we're, we got reset there. This will be an interesting best of Super... And hey, someone pointed this out. I think it was Joe Gagne. This is the first year in five years that the Young Bucks are not in this tournament. And then also this weekend is the kickoff at the uh, Lionsgate show of the uh, Young Lions Cup. That is a league. That's a round-robin tournament. That starts this weekend. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. We will talk about that next week. And Rich is going to join the show next to talk about Global Wars. Welcome to Chicago for this portion of WrestleMania 2. All right, and welcome to part two of this week's episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Very weird. Again, I apologize that we have to do this, but uh, yeah, Joe and I's schedules did not meet up this week whatsoever, but we wanted to give you guys a little dose of, of both Joe uh, and myself, so we decided to go WrestleMania 2 style. So Joe did his part um, 
that you just heard. And now this is my part. So I'm doing part two. We, we kind of split up the topics a little bit as well. We might touch on some stuff that, that, that Joe talked about. I might talk about, and, and Joe might have touched on some stuff that, that I'm going to talk about here a little bit. But for the most part, I'm going to kind of take a different you know, different angle, different thing than he did. I mean, I know he talked about King of Pro Wrestling and and the Neville situation, the Jamie Jacobs situation. Again, like I said, some of that stuff might come up in this, but I'm primarily going to take uh, WWE Hell in the Cell, so I'm going to uh, cover that show a little bit. Mostly going to talk about a few matches that really stood out to me. I don't know that we necessarily need to go through the Jinder Mahal thing again for the thousandth time. Everybody knows he sucks. It was another terrible match by his, so, you know, like, we don't have to necessarily do that and Nakamura's lazy and da-da-da. we don't have to do that again. We've done that enough times. Uh, but I'm going to talk about a, a few big things and a big some big stories coming out of Hell in the Cell, some stuff that I'm actually excited about. Uh, WWE, a really cool story that I've really loved about what WWE is doing right now, so we'll talk about that. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the ROH New Japan Global Wars Tour that's going on this weekend. I'm attending uh, the show on Sunday, but all these other shows, I mean, it, it, they're kind of, you know, Chicago's probably the best card of, of all of those, and that makes sense. It's on iPay-Per-View. It's, it's the one that most people are probably going to see, but um, we're going to talk a little bit about the other cards, too, because you're going to be able to see these other cards if you really want to. They're going to be up on, on VOD, on, on ROHWrestling.com, so there's always a, a good reason if you wanted to check these out, and, and there's some pretty good stuff on there. Chicago is the best card, but I do like some of the other stuff that's on the other cards. So we will talk a little bit about that. <coughs> um, I'll briefly get into Kushida and Will Ospreay, who obviously talked about that in his King of Pro Wrestling review, but uh, it's a match that I really enjoyed, so I'm going to touch on that a little bit. And uh, yeah, we might get some other odds and ends stuff. Um, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, those are going to be our primary topics for the most part. And then we'll be back uh, full boat show next uh, week. Uh, Joe and I will be back together. We have a lot of good stuff we want to get to there. We have the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, the, J- the Japan candidates. It's something we really wanted to talk about. We didn't want to split that up. We thought that was best if, if we talked together. Uh, there's the Ashino Wrestle One. We have some other cool stuff. We got kind of a. Um, Indie wrap-up, like, I, I'm going to be going to a few shows this weekend. I'm going to the Jin Lyman uh, tournament uh, from AEW that they're doing this weekend. I'm doing that Friday. Uh, they're doing a two-nighter there, so I'm just doing the Friday show. Maybe the Saturday show. We'll see how that goes. But um, And then I'm going to Global Wars, of course, so I'm going to have a lot to talk about of, of, of that weekend of watching shows and whatnot. And then Joe uh, has some good stuff, too. There's some uh, there's an indie popping up in, in his town. He's been talking about that for a while, how uh, College Station, Texas, has not had indies in, in, in forever. And uh, Carson, we've talked about him many times, a Texas independent wrestler. He is starting up a, a company in uh, College Station. They're running a show here pretty soon, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. That'll be next week, though, when we're, we're back together finally, Joe and Rich. But uh, for the meantime, you're stuck with me uh, on my own right now, and yeah, Joe, on your own, too. But uh, I'll have less dramatic pauses, I assure you that. I will possibly have more coughs because I'm nursing a sickness that I've had for the past two weeks. So if I sound like crap, that is why. And if uh, I'll try to do my best, but as I said, sometimes I can't really breathe because I'm still sick. So I'll try my best not to cough on air because that's disgusting. But uh, if I do, uh, I'll try to edit it out. If I don't miss, if I miss the edit or whatever, I apologize, but uh, I'm doing my best here. Yes, I'm going to start off here with uh, ROH and New Japan's Global Wars. Uh, Big weekend of shows. This leads in pretty well. I mean, Joe did a pretty good lead-in with the King of Pro Wrestling stuff because that's New Japan. And and I guess some parts of that show sort of led into this. We were kind of curious if if the Kenny Omega-Yoshihashi uh, match was going to be a build towards this if they cared enough to build it towards Global Wars, and, and we found out that they did. I mean, <laughs> Kenny Omega's uh, promo was basically just that, uh, you know, win or lose, nobody's going to care about you, Yoshihashi, and, you know, you'll have a good match with me, but uh, who cares, you're just Yoshihashi and I'm Kenny Omega, which, you know, there's some truth to that as well, so that was kind of our build <laughs> to Global Wars, was Kenny Omega basically saying that nobody cares about his opponent, but, you know, it's, it was it was, it was was tassels and, and rainbow pants with a t-shirt on Kenny Omega, so there was always going to be a certain level of effort given uh, to him. But yeah, it wasn't the best build, but you know, it, it does lead in a little bit to what we're going to talk about uh, with Global Wars. But uh, if you want to go to our website right now, voiceofwrestling.com, Sean Cedor, our, uh, our, our ROH writer and, and utility player, did a really good job um, 
previewing this entire weekend. I mean, the show in Buffalo is going on uh, as I'm recording this on Thursday uh, the 12th. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going on throughout the weekend, and definitely check that out. It's just uh, look up ROH New Japan Global Wars 2017 Weekend Preview by Sean Cedor. I'll post it on uh, October 11th if you want to get down. He basically goes through every single card, uh, a little bit of preview of every single card. So definitely want to check that out before you uh, you watch any of these shows. Uh, but I'm going to do a little bit of a rundown myself. Just going to kind of run down the cards for the other shows, and then I'll talk a little bit about Chicago because, you know, obviously I'm going to that show, so I have a little bit more of a, a vested interest in the matches and a little bit more of a vested interest in what's going on and what I think is going to happen, as opposed to these other shows, which are just kind of a collection of uh, matches that don't really mean that much to me. But uh, they are available to watch, and, and, you know, if you hear good stuff, they're definitely worth checking out because uh, pretty much anytime New Japan comes... Um, Stateside, it's worth checking out, and and the Ring of Honor New Japan shows, you know, despite everything that we say about Ring of Honor and all of our complaints about them, for the most part, these shows do deliver, and they're at least pretty solid for the most part. I mean, you're, you're collecting, you know, Ring of Honor puts their best roster forward, you know, <laughs> what's what's left of it, I should say, and New Japan, this isn't the greatest, you know, collection of talent that they've brought over to America, but it's still a very good collection, it's made for some pretty fun matches as well, so there's some stuff uh, definitely worth talking about, but uh, night one, as I mentioned, uh, is October 12th, so it's going on as we record this, but hey, you know, the VOD is going to be out a, few, uh, a little bit later, but it's coming from Buffalo, so it's Global Wars Buffalo. This will be available, as I mentioned, on, on VOD, so quick little rundown of the card here, you got a... Uh, Openers going to be Manny Leon, Jenny Rose. Then you got Coast to Coast with Shaheem Ali and Leon St. Giovanni versus the Dogs, Rhett Titus and Will Ferreira. Uh, you got Jay Lethal, Frankie Kazarian, Hangman Adam Page versus Kushida. Uh, the Bullet Club, which is going to be Cody and Marty Skrull versus Chaos. And uh, representing Chaos will be Yoshihashi and Toru Yano. Uh, you got Christopher Daniels versus Hiromu Takahashi. That's one that I got a little check mark next to. That uh, sounds pretty interesting to see. Uh, also, a six man tag the Elite. You got Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, of course, versus the Kingdom. Matt Taven, Vinny Marsalia, and TKO. Ryan, so that should be uh, pretty fun there. You got Will Ospreay versus Punishment Martinez. That's another one I'm going to check mark. We'll, we'll get back to that here in a sec. Uh, and then your main events: uh, Suzuki Gun, Minoru Suzuki, and Killer Elite Squad versus Mark Briscoe and War Machine. I just want to let right everybody right, know right now, you're not going to see Jay Briscoe or Bully Ray on this tour. I think they're playing up their storyline a little bit, so those guys are both off the tour. So you got Mark Briscoe kind of on his own in a lot of these, but it's it, it's fun because it allows them to do a little bit of different things with with, with Mark uh, throughout the four shows. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we uh, keep going on. But, uh, yeah, the two matches that I wanted to put a uh, check mark next to were uh, Christopher Daniels and Hormu Takahashi. That, it really depends what Christopher Daniels you get. If you get the kind of playful Christopher Daniels, the one that's into having fun and wants to really kind of joke around a little bit, maybe a little bit of the, you know, the old Curry Man style stuff. And, and you got Hiromu in, in, in full on, you know, whether you like, you know, the comedy aspects of his character or not. He's, he's unbelievable at playing it. And it's, it does a really good job with him. The crowd is, of course, going to be really hot with it uh, as well. So if Hiromu's kind of having his fun and Daniels is having his fun, that could be a really, really interesting match. Uh, but the real the match that I'm really looking forward to the most is Will Ospreay versus Punishment Martinez. And if you haven't seen Punishment Martinez or... You just see an image of him and you go, that guy looks like a geek. That guy looks like a... He is so good. He He's... He's not to the level. He's not like a polished great worker quite yet. He's not like a, I'm not gonna say he's he's anybody that would be a, a, you know even in the conversation for wrestler of the year, a conversation of the top 100 wrestlers around. But you can just see the raw potential with him. You can see the combination of the size, uh, the speed, the athleticism. I mean, he's got stuff that just there's something there, and it's 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 gonna take a little while I think to get it all together. But once they get it together, Ring of Honor has a great guy on their hands with Punishment Martinez. Let's hope they can kind of hold on to him a little bit. But uh, I think they know what they have in him too because you, you've seen him get pushed a little bit more. As as well, I've seen him win big feuds. You've seen him do a lot of stuff that that 
that shows that Ring of Honor knows what they have in Punisher Martinez, which is a good thing because he is very good and, and is going to be very good for years to come uh, on the trajectory he's on right now. But uh, yeah, we, we always say he's kind of like Baron Corbin if Baron Corbin can actually wrestle because he's got the same look as Baron Corbin. He's, you know, menacingly tall. Like he, he, he looks like a badass, but then he does like, you know, topes and he does some cool stuff like that that really does sort of enhance his character a little bit as well, similar to, to kind of like War Machine in, in that respect. But uh <coughs> But yeah, he's against Will Ospreay here, and you know that'll be nuts. I mean, if Ospreay's got his working boots on, which which he always does. I mean, God, that guy works in front of 400 people in Australia, and he busts his ass and tries to have, you know, four-and-a-half-star match or whatever. So uh, you know that Ospreay's going to be busting his ass here, especially in a singles match against Punishment Martinez. But yeah, those two matches look really fun, and, and in particular that Ospreay-Punishment Martinez uh, match on, on the Buffalo show looks like something uh, definitely up my alley. I'll move on to night two. That's October 13th uh, at Stage AE in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is a free iPay-per-view if you're a ringside member to ROH Wrestling. So it's kind of interesting. It's it's the first time they've really incentivized getting that ringside membership. I mean, there's always been little stuff here and there, you know, early access to tickets, you know, this stuff here and there, you know, a few things. But there really wasn't that big of a reason to do it. This weekend might be a reason to get that ringside membership at ROHWrestling.com. So that's pretty cool that you get a free app pay-per-view uh, if you do that. If you don't want to do the ringside membership, it will be available on VOD uh, at some point as well. But let's break down the card here real quick for the Global Wars Night 2 in Pittsburgh. Um you got a Proving Ground Instant Reward six-man mayhem match. You got ROH World TV Champion Kenny King versus the Hangman Adam Page, Kushida, Matt Taven, Josh Woods, and Punishment Martinez. You got Mark Briscoe versus Hiromu Takahashi. That's a check mark. We'll get back to that one in a sec. <coughs> Uh, you got the Addiction versus the Best Friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta, so they're making their appearance on this tour as well. Uh, you got Jay Lethal versus Jay White, uh, a non-title match here. Never open weight championship uh, champion, rather never open weight champion. Minoru Suzuki versus Silas Young. Minoru Suzuki, of course, on this tour as well. He's got uh, important matches coming up here a little bit. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then uh, a non-title match as well. Killer Elite Squad versus War Machine. Thank God we can finally see Killer Elite Squad and War Machine get in the same ring at the same time. That'll be a uh, thrilling and, and once-in-a-lifetime experience to see those guys. But, you know, should be told, I mean, uh, and Joe talked about it a little bit on his King of Pro Wrestling thing. They, they did the most with what they had in terms of the, you know, three straight on that tour, uh, the, doing the KES War Machine and, and Girls of Destiny. And they made it even better in that elimination match. I thought that was the best of the four, and, and they got better with every single one of those, which is testament to them. They could have really phoned it in and just kind of said whatever. But uh, those guys busted their ass, and yeah, you know, the booking is is one thing, but we shouldn't take it out on those guys. I mean, those guys did all they could to make those matches important. And uh, yeah, Killer Wee Squad versus War Machine just in a straight uh, two-on-two tag. That should be pretty fun to see. Uh, and then an actual title match. World Tag Team titles. You got the Motor City Machine Guns versus the Kingdom versus the, the Young Bucks. That's a pretty fun one there. We'll I'll check my next that and get back to that in a sec. And then your main event is Kenny Omega, Cody, and the villain Marty Skrull versus Will Ospreay, Yoshihashi, and Toro Yano of Chaos. So a few matches to look at here. Um, uh, Mark Burster versus Romo Takahashi. Uh, somebody may die <laughs> that night. That's a, a strong possibility that uh, one of those two may uh, <laughs> may die. But that, that'll be pretty fun to see for sure. I mean, you know, Mark Burster was always going to bust his ass in Hiromu too. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how that match goes. Uh, the Addiction versus the Best Friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. That's another one I'm looking forward to as well. I mean, the Best Friends, I really like that team. I, I'm a big proponent of Chuck Taylor. I think he's awesome. And Trent, we talked about last week. I mean, that guy is having just an awesome year. Uh, arguably, you could put him in, you know, Tag Team Wrestler of the Year. Uh, maybe most underrated. There, there's there's an award for him somewhere in those Wrestling Observer Awards. I don't know where, but somewhere Trent Beretta's got to get an award for something because he has just been awesome this year. And I don't know that enough people are really recognized 
recognizing it or, or, or paying attention to it. Uh, Jay Lethal versus Jay White, I'm pretty interested in that too. Uh, there's also the possibility of, of, you know, maybe this being the end for Jay White and Ring of Honor because, you know, we got the, the Switchblade. It's rumored that maybe Jay White's part of the Switchblade. We've heard Sammy Callahan as a name as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it's any of those guys. Um, Personally, even though I've come to enjoy Sammy Callahan a little bit more, I used to be a big you know hater of Sammy Callahan. I've come to enjoy him a little bit more in AEW. I, I you know I've locally I've watched him a bunch, watched his world title right there, and, and I started to get it a little bit. But I mean, I would really, really much prefer this to be Jay White coming back than Sammy Callahan. It's just I, you know I'm okay with Sammy Callahan now, but maybe not in my New Japan. And and yeah, I I, I I'd be much more happy with, with Jay White because I think he's incredible. And I we we talked about it you know when he went away for excursion, Joe and I that the moment Jay White comes back, if they really want to make this guy something, they can. They can make him a star if they want to. And I hope that this Switchblade thing is thing. I mean, this, they've been building this up for a while. We saw it with Hiromu with the time bomb. You know, when they build it up for a while, they're not going to bring that guy in and not do anything with them. I mean, they're not going to bring him in and then he just kind of flounders. There's plans for that. So I, I really do hope that Jay White is a Switchblade guy because that will uh, will mean a lot as well. In this match, I mean, Jay Lethal's Jay Lethal these days. That's uh, kind of the unfortunate thing that you know there's not really a ceiling on what he's going to do. He just kind of has a... Well, I mean, like, his ceilings, there is a ceiling, but it's it's kind of level it's like three stars that's about as much as you're gonna get out of Jay Lethal now and if you get anything more you, you've really been spoiled uh there but you know Jay White's great so maybe he can get a little bit something out of him more but uh yeah you got Minoru Suzuki Silas Young that seems pretty interesting as well of course non-title but uh if Suzuki has his working boots on this could be a fun little tour for him but uh, as we saw from his his last American match eh, he might just kind of be phoning it in and having fun enjoying these Bass Pro shops and, and shopping for lures and whatever the hell he you know a Minoru Suzuki shops for Bass Pro shop but uh yeah we'll see uh Killer Elite Squad Warmer I talked about that a little bit. And then the uh, the match I'm really looking forward to, Motor City Machine Guns, Kingdom, and the Young Bucks, particularly anything that doesn't really involve the Kingdom. I mean, those guys, they try they, they, they try hard, but, you know, they're not great. But uh, they're there with the Motor City Machine Guns and the Young Bucks, so it's hard to look bad when you're with those two teams as well. So that should be a really fun match. A lot of, a lot of crazy stuff happening as well. Um, and, yeah, I just hope that they're... Uh... <coughs> I uh, just hope they're working hard because um, that'll be a pretty fun match to see there. So that is uh, Global Wars Pittsburgh. Then they uh, night three on October 14th. This is Saturday, uh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. So keep in mind, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time for this show uh, from Columbus, Ohio. This is Global Wars Columbus. And I I, I, I honestly believe if, if four years ago I said that New Japan would be running a joint show with Ring of Honor, if you had, you could have gotten 50 guesses before you'd come with Columbus, Ohio being one of the cities in which that happens. But here it is, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Global Wars Night 3. As mentioned, this is, again, a free iPay-Per-View if you're a ringside member, so maybe not a bad idea to become a ringside member this weekend. A lot of good stuff going on there. If not, though, it'll be available uh, video on demand as well. But do remember, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time is the bell time, so it's going to be a little bit earlier in the day for that show. I'll break down the card here real quick. We got Haladad versus Sumi Siaki. Uh, we got Shane Taylor versus Josh Woods. Um, the Motor City Machine Guns versus Silas Young and the Beer City Bruiser. You have the Bullet Club, uh, Hangman Adam Page and Villain Marty Scroll versus Kenny King and Mark Briscoe. You got the Addiction versus Search and Destroy versus Jay White and Jonathan Gresham. You got Jay Lethal versus Hiromu Takahashi. Will Ospreay, Yoshihashi, and Toru Yano from Chaos. Uh, they're going to be against Suzuki Gun, which is Minoru Suzuki and the Killer Elite Squad. Uh, then you have a six man tag. You got the Elite, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks versus Flip Gordon and the Best Friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Breda, of course. And then your main event, the match that's on the poster, the big match that everybody's kind of looking forward to a little bit. It's Cody versus Kushida. And obviously there's a, a little bit of an issue there in terms of um, what Kushida did to, you know, earn an ROH world title shot. I mean, he lost his TV title not that long, you know, you know 
you know, some time ago and just lost the, you know, junior heavyweight championship to Will Ospreay uh, <laughs> a few days ago. But um, I don't know. I don't know. He's getting a world title shot. I mean, logic, I mean, trying to come up with logical reasons of why people do things in Ring of Honor is, is a losing effort. They're just not a company that books that way anymore. They book for whatever they want. I mean, the, the try, you know, really trying to follow tiers, trying to follow what this guy's story is, what that guy did to deserve it, why that guy's fighting this match, like why is Cody against Kushida for the ROH World Title? They just do things, and that's you, you kind of unfortunately have to accept that with Ring of Honor these days. Like I don't like it, and you know I don't, <laughs> I don't need to like it. I just I accept it, and that's not the same thing. You know, liking and accepting is. I I, I would prefer that Ring of Honor build stuff better. I would prefer that there be a reason for these guys to fight. I would prefer that up and down the card, there was tears. There was consistent storylines. There was guys moving up. There was guys moving down. There's guys that are, are working their way up to titles. There are rankings. There's some semblance of an idea of what's going on and who's where and whatever. Yeah, I would like that, but it's that's not they don't do that anymore. And and, and you're beating your I, I there are many years where I was beating my head against the wall, going, "Why doesn't Ring of Honor do this? Why doesn't Ring of Honor do this? Why doesn't Ring of Honor do this?" I've just learned to accept it. It's not right, you know. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. I should hate it, and I still kind of do. But it is what it is. I mean, it's not going to change. And, and and complaining about it online or getting mad about it in this podcast isn't going to change uh, how they book it. We can call it stupid, and we can call them out for it. And and it, we, I still will, and I just did, and and I will throughout this match. But it kind of just is what it is. But uh, yeah, Cody versus Kushida. I'm I'm interested to see uh, Kushida. Obviously, he speaks for. I mean, the guy's awesome. And, and the King of Pro Wrestling match. I, I mentioned I was going to talk a little bit about. It. I guess I guess I will right now. That is legit going to be. I think in my top ten for match of the year. I, I I'm. Really thinking about going five stars with it. I, I watched it the one time. I'm, I am going to watch it again to really decide and, and decide if I want to lock it into my you know match of the year contention. But there was just something I loved about that match. It was just every second meant something. Every second was just was action. Every every move that those guys did, there was no wasted motion. There was not every single thing, and you could just hear the crowd buzzing the entire time. Like they don't know what's going to happen. There's that weird. The entire time we're watching that Kushida Osprey, there's just this weird feeling inside you like you just want to what's next what am I going to see next what are these guys going to do what's the next move what's what's the counter to the next move what's this guy going to do that's spectacular I mean that was the entire match because they've they, they built it up in the first few minutes where you have you know well Osprey goes for the, the Sasuke special and it's put into you know an arm bar you have you know Kushida trying to do his normal you know where he, where he jumps on the chair and, and, and tries to hit the guy over the guardrail but then you know Will Osprey comes up and hits him with an like there was just always those things that they were just countering each other's moves time and time again or whatever uh, particularly, you know, Osprey countering Kushida's moves or whatever, that you were like, okay, cool. Like, I, now I want to see every spot in this match mean something because there's a potential chance that Will Osprey is going to counter it into something spectacular or do something crazy. I mean, he tries to do a moonsault and he, you know, Kushida ducks out of the way and he lands on his feet, for God's sake. Just like the stuff that happened throughout that match is just incredible. And it, it, it's one of those that when you're done, you, you almost have to take a deep breath because you realize, shit, I haven't, I haven't, like, I just stared at this match and just was sitting up there watching this and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, and and when it's all said and done, you're, you're you're like almost taken aback by it. It's just like, oh, it's over. Okay, like I can relax again. Like I can I can chill out again. And and that's that's special. And when you get a crowd that's making that level of noise that they were the entire match. I mean, from the moment the bell went on to the minute the match was over, that crowd was buzzing. That crowd was making noise. It felt like really old school New Japan. Like you know, back in 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 the nineties and even in the eighties or whatever, where crowds were just the entire match buzzing. No matter what was going on, they were buzzed. There was never. Ever like a moment of 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 real silence. There was never a moment where the crowd wasn't 
talking amongst themselves or, or talking about a spot or wondering what's going to happen next or rooting for their guy or whatever. And that's what that entire match was. So I, I just thought that match was incredible. So so I'm teetering on the five stars there. I am going to rewatch it just to make sure uh, that's where I want to put it because obviously that's a, that's a lofty thing for me and I'm a tough grader. So I always, if I do want to put a match at five stars, I want to really make sure that, that it is that for me. But I liked it even better than the best of the Super Juniors match, I think. But uh, both those matches will be in my you know year-end match of the year. We'll have to, I have to rewatch it and, and see who makes the top ten. But uh, there's a there's a really realistic chance that both those two make it because man, I've, I've just loved their series as well, and I've even seen the the, the what culture um, match as well. I've heard from a lot of people that I do need to check that one out. So uh, it's gonna be in my weekend plans for sure to watch that what culture match so I can officially just say okay, look, and then hey, my countdown might be half it, might be Will Ospreay and Kushida, but I don't really care because those guys are just fucking awesome and they're the two of my favorites going right now as well. So. Uh, really interested in that, but yeah, Kushida, you know, he speaks for himself, uh, great wrestler, Cody, I mean, Cody, when he's with the right guy, can put a, together a good match, when he's not, it, you know, it's Cody, it's, it's, you know, the standard, you know, sleepwalk Cody match or whatever, but he's against Kushida here, and, and that, that's one of those guys, like, that, that Okada match from the New Japan G1 in, in the USA, I love that match, I, you know, I forgot what exactly I gave it the rating, but I thought it was the best Cody match I had really ever seen in my entire life, and Kushida's an equal worker to that, I mean, Kushida, if there's anybody that can drag, you know, a four, four and a half star match out of Cody it, it'd be Kushida it's just it's dependent on if Cody wants to do that that night if there's going to be Bullet Club shenanigans what the story is going to be of the match uh, but yeah if they want to they absolutely have the capacity to having just a, a barn burner here so uh, really interesting to see in that so yeah, that's uh, Global Wars Night 3 from Columbus. Of course, that's going on Saturday I mentioned at 4.30pm Eastern Time uh, free eye pay-per-view for Ringside members so um, if you do want to uh, watch that on eye pay-per-view do remember 3.30pm so it's going to be a little bit earlier in the day. And now the final show of the entire weekend, RH Global Wars Chicago Night 4, October 15th, uh, kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time from the Odium Ex- Expo Center in Villa Park, Illinois. And that might, might not mean a lot to uh, many people, but that is where Anarchy Rules 1999 was from. It's when uh, when ECW ran Chicago, they ran Villa Park, Illinois, which is kind of a suburb, uh, western suburb of Chicago. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty weird arena. Like, I, I, I remember knowing about it as a kid. You know, I went to the show. Obviously, I went to one of those ECW shows, Anarchy Rules 99. And it's an arena that I just, like, I don't... It's kind of an expo center, but it's it's got seating. Like, they do rodeos and stuff there. It's very interesting. But, you know, it's a great move for, for Ring of Honor because uh, in Chicago, they've always ran the Chicago Ridge uh, Park District, which, you know... Um, the Frontier Fieldhouse, everybody, you know, obviously that's the, the famous name that ROH has used. And, you know, it's fine, but it's a field house. It's, you know, a ring set up on a, you know, a gym floor with a bunch of chairs around it and some bleachers, you know, about 20 feet, uh, you know, away from the nearest chair or whatever. So it's, it's, it's you know, there's basketball hoops and the stuff. You know, it, it is. It is what it is. I mean, you, you, that's the, you know, one of the arenas where you, you pee with the wrestlers. You know, I've, I've peed numerous times next to guys like a Nigel McGuinness or whatever. You know, go minutes before they're going out for their match. They're because there's only one bathroom. There's only one. You know, really locker room. The locker room is is a gym that you know they kind of tarp off and and the guys stay. So it, it's it's nice that they're going to what is an actual somewhat of an arena. It's more you know they call it an expo center, the Odium. But if you watch those old ECW shows and if you look up anything about it, it it's an arena and that's that's cool. I mean, it's a big move for Ring of Honor in Chicago because it, it says in one respect. Uh, they're moving to an actual arena, which, you know, there's not a ton of those here. There's not a lot of mid-sized arenas. But more than that, it shows that they're selling more tickets, which I think is a huge thing for this tour. I mean, they announced Kenny Omega, and those things flew off the the, the website. I mean, we had to get ours super early when we wanted to get them. Uh, I think there's estimates of around, like, 2,000 or so that they can see. It'll be tough to see. We'll see when the actual day comes. Obviously, I'll have a report on uh, Voices Wrestling, uh, our Twitter account, at Voices Wrestling. About it because I'll be there live with a bunch of my buddies. We got ten, a group of ten there as well. And I do want to mention this as well. If you are uh, attending the show and you're a listener of this, um, 
If you're attending Global Wars and you're a listener of Voices of Wrestling, we are going to do a little meetup uh, before the show. We're going to do it at Gulliver's, which is a uh, a bar uh, in Villa Park. Uh, it might be Villa Park Oak Terrace. Either way, you look it up. It, it just look up Gulliver's Villa Park, and, and you should be able to find it. Uh, it's a bar and pizza place right around the corner from from the Odium. We're going to do a meetup there starting at around uh, 2 until basically the show goes on. I'll be there at 2. You can show up at 4 if you want. You can show up at 3. You can show up at 5, whatever. We'll be there pretty much from 2 to probably 6-ish as well. Just kind of hanging out. Um, nothing required to do. You just just come and, and say hi. Like I'll be wearing, you know, I have some giveaways uh, to give you as well. But basically, just say hang out and meet some other fellow, you know, listeners of the show. Uh, meet some fellow New Japan fans. Meet some fellow Ring of Honor fans. Just kind of hang out. Uh, nothing too big. We don't have anything planned. There's no, you know, games. There's no trivia contest. It's no live podcast. I'm just gonna be there, you know, drinking some beer, eating some pizza, probably. So if you want to do that, check it out. Gulliver's uh, in Villa Park before the show around 2 p.m. Uh, we'll get it started and we'll do that from basically until probably about six as well. We've, we've reserved a table as well um so we'll have a you know maybe need an extra table because it seems like a lot of people are coming but uh if you do want to come uh let us know uh, as well if you can at voices wrestling it'll be nice to know um just for numbers purposes i'm kind of keeping a run tally of how many people we're going to have but you know if if there's 20 people listening to the show that don't tell me they're coming and they show up all of a sudden we might you know need some more space and it'd be nice to know ahead of time as well so if you are coming to that if you're going to global wars and you want to check it out and, and, and come to the pre-show meetup uh, at Gulliver's, let me know, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Um, also, you can look up uh, RWH Global Wars meetup on Facebook as well. There's an event page uh, that you can probably find. If you can't find it through search, just let me know, and I, I can try to find it for you. But the best way is probably going to be to either you know send me a direct message on Twitter or just at, uh, at Voices Wrestling on, on Twitter and, and let me know you're coming. Because, uh, yeah, we definitely want everybody uh, to be there. It's all-inclusive, you know, whether you're, you're man, woman, black, white. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're all good. We have a number of different... We, we, and, and, for people that are worried, it's not just going to be a sausage fest. I assure you, you know, my, my wife's going to be, there. there's multiple wives that are going to be there. Uh, we've gotten some other RSVPs from some other women as well. So if you're, if you're a woman wondering, Oh geez, I don't want to be the only one there. You're, you're not going to be there. There'll be plenty of women there. Uh, plenty of, 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 of good stuff there. And it's a great place too. great pizza, great food. Uh, no, you know, no requirement to come in. You don't have to pay anything or whatever. We're just gonna let people order whatever they want. Like I said, it's just going to kind of be a casual hangout, but it's a good place to sort of meet, uh, and, and, and chat and chill and, and, Drink some adult beverages before the show. But, uh, yeah, really looking forward to the show because I think on paper it's it's a pretty solid-looking card. Uh, start off with the Addiction versus Kushida and Cheeseburger. Um, cheeseburger will be super over, I'm sure, and Kushida just loves himself some cheeseburgers. So uh, I'm pretty interested in that one as well. This match, oh boy, this could, this could go one or two ways. I think it's going to be polarizing, that's for sure. It's going to be Colt Cabana versus Toro Yano. So... <coughs> I absolutely get why they did this match. I, um... I'm sure Cole Cabana was 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 salivating at the idea uh, of working with Toriano and Toriano. I'm sure once he you know gets an idea, I, I don't know. He might know who Cole Cabana is. I'm, I'm not entirely positive, uh, but that you know, man, Toriano's stuff is is annoying to me in the context of like a big time New Japan show. It's annoying to me during the G1. But man, I, I'm probably gonna be laughing. I'm, I'm probably gonna enjoy the antics during this match because because that's the thing with Yano, and we've always said that on this show is like. You know, when he's not doing anything, when he's in the lower card, when it's just kind of a fuck-around match or whatever, like, he doesn't bother me that much. But when he does bother me is, is when he's in the G1, when he's, you know, tying up Suzuki on the ropes or whatever. That's the stuff that just gets boring because I've seen it a thousand times. But, you know, live and in person against a guy like a Cabana, also, you know, a great comedy wrestler himself, that could be really fun. And, and both those guys, you know, I at times have kind of eye-rolled some of their stuff, but the combination of those two has the potential to be pretty funny. But uh, it could also be just total bomb and, and, and really annoying as well. So we'll see. As, uh, as I said, very polarizing match there. Uh, the best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta versus Silas Young in the Beer City Bruiser. Will Ospreay versus Flip Gordon. There will be a lot of flip 
clips in that match. I'm really looking forward to that. I have a few buddies coming that are, are pretty casual fans as well, and they've never seen Will Ospreay, so I'm, I'm not going to tell them anything. I'm just going to let them experience Will Ospreay in the, in the flesh and see uh, how that goes there. Uh, six-man tag, Jay Lethal, Mark Briscoe, and Kenny King versus Suzuki Gun, which is Minoru Suzuki, and the Killer Elite Squad. Pretty interested in that match as well, just because the combination of, of you know Suzuki and the Elite Squad is awesome, but uh, Briscoe and, and King are guys that I really like as well. And, and Lethal, when, he's, when he wants to work, can still be pretty great as well, so... Uh, interested in that. You got the villain Marty Scroll versus Hiromu Takahashi. That I'm looking forward to. Really, Hiromu, <coughs> you go through this tour, he's got a lot of big-time matches there. I'm pretty interested in why, if there's any reasoning behind him having so many singles matches, maybe because, obviously, there's no other LIJ member, so who do you team him with? So I guess you give him those singles matches. But either way, it's pretty funny to see him in all the singles matches. But it's fine because they're all really interesting matches. And this one, I'm really looking forward to, Marty Scroll versus Hiromu. That's just charisma off the charts. Uh, you got the United States title, the arguable main event. It's not being listed as a main event, but I, I assume it is, but I don't know. It, it's interesting this other match is being listed as a main event. Either way, um, the IWGB US title, Kenny Omega versus Yoshihashi, will be the first defense of the US title on American soil by Kenny Omega. Obviously, he won it at the New Japan uh, G1 in the USA uh, uh, series of shows, but uh, yeah, this will be a pretty interesting match as well. Yoshihashi Obviously, he's fallen out of favor in some respects. I mean, 2016 was really his big year. It was a really breakout year uh, in a lot of ways. In 2017, he's just kind of been there. Like, he's just kind of been a guy this entire year. Uh, this would be a great opportunity for him to go out there because we know he's capable of having great matches. It's just a matter of having the capacity to have those. And he really hasn't had the capacity this year to have a lot of those great matches. But this could change all that. This could be a match where if he goes out there, and, and we know Omega... Uh, for the most part, I mean, anytime Omega's in a big-time match, he's going to deliver. And this is a big moment, too, because this, this is on iPay-Per-View. This is on traditional pay-per-view. Or, no, I believe it's just iPay-Per-View. I'm sorry, sorry. Just live iPay-Per-View for everybody. Uh, so you don't need to be a ringside member for this. So I'll be also be available on VOD. But that's a big moment. I mean, obviously, being the title match, that's a title that I, you know New Japan gave him in a lot of ways to be a representative for the American aspect of New Japan. So that's a big deal for for Kenny Omega. So I think he's gonna have his working boots on. Like I don't think we're gonna see you know the the, the tassels T-shirt Kenny Omega. I think we're gonna see the, the cleaner, the you know the the black. You know, no, he's not gonna be busting his ass to the level of those Okada matches, or he's not gonna be busting his ass like like it's the finals of the G1 or whatever. But I think we're gonna get a pretty decent effort here. We're not gonna get tag match Kenny Omega here. And Yoshihashi has a lot to work for, too. So, I mean, he, he has to prove that, you know, he, he deserves, uh, you know, the big-time singles match, that he deserves a title shot, and that he deserves, you know, a little more than he's gotten in 2017. So I'm really looking forward to see what Yoshihashi's output is for this match. I mean, there's no chance in hell that he's winning this, but you know that the, the real goal is to get us to believe at some point that he is going to win, and I think Yoshihashi can do it, and I'm, I'm pretty interested in seeing that match. <coughs> And then you have what is listed as the main event, but it seems kind of weird, but I don't know. I guess given the, the audience, maybe this <laughs> it's not a bad idea as the main event. Uh, the Bull Club, it's Cody, the Young Bucks, and Adam Page versus Search and Destroy, uh, which is the Motor City Machine Guns, Jay White, and Jonathan Gresham. So, um, you know, main event or whatever, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, th- that match is going to be awesome. I mean, Jay White is great. Jonathan Gresham, I really do enjoy as well. Motor City Machine Guns speaking for themselves. And then you got the Young Bucks, and and, and they're always crazy. It'll just be up to Cody Page and, and – uh, Cody Page. Cody and Adam Page to, to hold up their end of the bargain there. But, uh, yeah, it looks really interesting, and I'm, I'm pretty um, – I'm just interested to see how that goes. But, yeah, the card itself, I mean, I really do think – Man, the, was it the Columbus show or what? What the Buffalo show? Was that the one that I mentioned? Yeah, the Buffalo show looks looks really solid. That might be 
Oh, Pittsburgh, sorry. Pittsburgh the, the, was the show I was trying to think of. That one is probably neck and neck with the Chicago show as being the best, but I really do think the Chicago one stands out. Mostly because Scroll versus Hiromu, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. You got Omega Yoshihashi, and that speaks for itself. And then the uh, the Will Ospreay Flip Gordon, that, that's a really fun one as well. And then, yeah, if Kokoban and Toro Yano is, is funny or, or memorable or whatever, that really rounds out as a pretty good card. But all you're really looking for in this show is, is, is does Kenny Omega Yoshihashi, does Scroll Hiromu, and does that Bullet Club Search and Destroy match, you know, do those hold up their end of the bargain? If they do, you know, you add in the Will Ospreay flip Gordon, Gordon, which I think will. I mean, then you're looking at a pretty good card. I mean, some of the tag matches, you know, they're a little bit to be desired. You know, the Addiction versus Kushida and Cheeseburger, and then Best Friends versus South Young and Beer City Bruisers. I like a lot of the guys involved in that match, uh, those matches, but they don't really jump off the page uh, for you all that much. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to that show as well. And, yeah, I'll be there live. Um, be tweeting out uh, as much as I can throughout the show. But, uh, yeah, make sure you're watching that on uh, iPay-Per-View at RHWrestling.com. I believe it'll be on the Fight TV app as well but that's uh new japan ring of honor global wars we'll have reviews of all the shows as well sean cedar will be doing those uh but as mentioned sean did a great job on the website uh previewing that entire weekend so make sure you go check it out global wars 2017 weekend preview for him uh, and while we're on the topic of the website do want to let you know some other good stuff we have going up on the website right now uh things that are on the site as well garrett kidney did a quick guide to impact's brand new global wrestling network uh, some matches to watch some shows to watch i mean if anybody's going to tell you what you should watch from the new streaming service of impact it's going to be garrett kidney and he comes with some really good uh, recommendations as well some some good stuff you can check out uh there uh, in terms of other stuff we got a new episode of everything evolves uh obviously <laughs> the world of everything evolves is is constantly evolving and it's been another interesting week there they talk about uh wrestling criticism wrestling journalism they do a beat by beat breakdown of their conversations with uh evolve booker gabe sapolsky they're very controversial uh conversations with them and then they talk about the light side of stuff they talk about uh the weekend coming up for evolve and the odd end of evolve uh clips that we saw as well if it actually is the end of evolve or whatnot uh wrestling omakase did a really great episode as well that you definitely have to check out on noia uh, Noah, uh, their great voyage in Yokohama Volume Two. Uh, really, though, I mean, John is, is is backed by two great guests as well. You got Connor and um, from the Eastern Lariat Lucha Talk, uh, Dylan Harris, who, who's just an incredible wealth of knowledge as well. And Connor's a great guest uh, as well. So it's John Connor and uh, ooh, John Connor, nice from familiar reference there, or former uh, or past uh, voice wrestling guest, maybe future voice wrestling guest, John Connor, the rapper there. But uh, so you got John. Connor and Dylan, which is a lot of good uh, good insight there, and I'm sure that's going to be a fun show to check out if you like Noah. And if you don't like Noah, maybe you can learn a little bit about Noah, Noah the Reborn. They have uh, had a resurgence as of late, so that could be a pretty fun uh, show as well to kind of cover you know, what's going on there, what's going on. You know, that, that show specifically was one that we talked about having you know, just an insanely crazy card, and it was uh, delivered on paper. I mean, it, the, the show sounded – I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but from everybody that's, that's seen it, they said you know, they really enjoyed it. A lot of good stuff in it as well. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a great show to check out. I uh, also got a new episode of Shake Them Ropes talking about the Jimmy Jacobs-Neville uh, situation, uh, some other stuff there. Uh, you got Match of the Month from uh, Lawson Leong. Does a great job with our Match of the Month, September 2017's Match of the Month is up there right now on VoicesWrestling.com, New Japan Procast on our network as well. So a lot of other good stuff to check out at Voices Wrestling. We'll also have reviews of other good stuff. Uh, Joe Lanza came in uh, to do our King of Pro Wrestling review, so you want to definitely check that out. He wrote that, uh, echo some of his thoughts that he mentioned earlier in the show. But uh, yeah, he's got that up on the website. As I mentioned, Strong Cedar's preview of the Global Wars. We'll have reviews of all the Global Wars show, uh, shows. Uh, we'll have, I believe, in the next few days, a live reaction from the most recent Lionsgate show from Jojo Remy, who was there live. Uh, and we're going to be rolling out some uh, PWG Bolo reviews coming up in the next few days as well. So a lot of good stuff to check out. Also the podcast, good stuff on there, Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, subscribe. 
<coughs> wherever you get your podcasts, uh, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, we're on just about everything. Uh, make sure you look for that. If you want individual show subscriptions, you can go uh, to our Audio Boom page as well, and there's some links there. If you want to just get, say you just want to listen to Everything Evolves, you can do that very easily. If you just want to listen to Burning Spirits or whatever, you can do that as well. We recommend, though, that you check out all of our podcasts because I think there's something there for everybody. I do want to mention as well, we didn't mention on last week's show, but... Um, Music of the Mat did an incredible episode. I mean, those guys are just the best. I'm so jealous of them. They they, they just know how to podcast. So we're, we're idiots. Joe and I are complete fools. I mean, look at this fucking show. I mean, Joe just recorded his send me a wave file. Like, I'm doing this on my own. Like, what the fuck are we doing? We're, 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 we don't know what the hell we're doing. We're idiots. Those guys, though, that from the production standpoint, from a hilarity standpoint, from a comedy, I mean, the, those guys just write well. I mean, everything that they do at the Music of the Mat is just incredible. And their last episode about Metallica is great. It, it, it's all about the history of the band, how it weaves into pro wrestling, you know, wrestlers that use Metallica songs. I mean, just just an incredible episode. Probably their best yet and one that you absolutely have to check out. So Music of the Matt Metallica, make sure you check that out before uh, your week's over because, I, yeah, it's just a just a really great episode and, and I'm really jealous of those guys. They're so good at what they do. But, uh, yeah, all good stuff going on at VoicesOfWrestling.com, also VoiceOfWrestling.com slash forums or other uh, message boards there. Definitely want to check that out. A lot of good stuff going on there as well a lot of good discussions about everything going on in the world of wrestling okay so let's get to this hell in a cell show so this is sunday hell in a cell ah, you know i i don't want to be negative on the show because i actually really did enjoy it from top to bottom i thought there was some good stuff really really backed by two matches that i really thought stood out and of course is the, is the main event and and the opener um, we'll talk about the main event here in a little bit, but the opener I do want to talk about, and this is the match that everybody had pegged for being the match of the night, the, the opportunity for, for it to really stand out and really be the match that everybody was going to look at when the, when the show was all said and done, and, and it, it, it was exactly what everybody thought. It was the Usos uh, defeating the New Day to win back the Tag Team Championships. Those teams have uh, traded, champ- traded the titles you know, for a little while now, but that's a Hell in a Cell match, and easily the match of the night. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, the main event we're going to talk about a little bit. There might be some people that prefer the main event. I, I doubt that. I mean, there, there, it seems like almost universally this Usos New Day match has, has been regarded as, as the best match of this entire show. And it, for a lot of people, I've, I've seen some rumblings as well that it might be one of the better matches in WWE this entire year. And, you know, I, I, I liked it. I don't know if I liked it on that level, but I wouldn't argue with anybody if this was like your WWE match of the year. Like, I, I wouldn't argue with you at all. Like, I don't know if it, it's obviously not going to, you know, win our poll or, or probably be in the top five or even the top 10. But hey, if it's got a lot of votes, if it's on the outside looking in, if it's, you know, 25 or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this one really stood out and it was really awesome. Uh, Joe and I mentioned that we were a little nervous about the Hell in a Cell. Um, stipulation how those guys were going to work if maybe they were going to you know try too many things or how the cell would sort of work they man they nailed it they just figured out exactly the best way to, to to wrestle their type of match in the cell without making it too obvious that they were just trying to do things that worked for the hell in the cell like you had of course like the um you know doomsday device where you know they, they they dive into the guy and he bounces in the cell like that's where you saw most of your stuff you saw Big E do you know his insane you know uh, uh, his mid rope spear you know to somebody through you know hitting the cell you know their back hitting the cell that was really fun uh, one of the probably the best spots one of the most innovative spots as well is when they you know this match was filled with kendo sticks and filled with weapons it was more of a plunder match than necessarily a hell in a cell match but they were able to use the cell pretty well uh, but it was brutal man I mean the the, the one spot that I think everybody's gonna remember is when um, you know, they, they corner somebody, you know, with the kendo sticks and they're hitting them. And then like, you know, Xavier Woods gets tied up on the, on the, on the, the post and they're just whipping him. Like it was a brutal match. I mean, this was, was way more brutal than you assume an Usos New Day match would be. I mean, like they've had great matches before, but it's always been kind of slick. They've always been sort of polished in a respect, but this was just like brutality. This was just two teams going to rip at each other or whatever, but it never bordered on feeling, you know, too overdone in terms of the weapons or, or too brutal. It just seemed like two teams that really wanted to, 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 to prove that they were the better team and, 
hey, you know, we're in the cell and, and there's tables and there's kendo sticks and there's all this stuff. So, hey, why don't we use it? So, yeah, I mean, it, inarguably the match of the night as well. Uh, the Usos winning the titles back. You wonder, you know, have we finally reached the point where this match is, has probably been overdone and, and when is enough enough? But it's like they, they don't really have much else on the, the SmackDown side. I mean, you look at the, the, the pre-show, which, of course, I, I didn't watch. I'm never going to watch. Is, uh Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin defeating the Hype Bros, Mojo Rowley and Zack Ryder. Uh, they're teasing dissension against the Mojo Rowley and, and Zack Ryder. So that's the thing there is, like, you know, that's one of your, your few teams that you have. And, and those guys are, are you know, they're going to break up, uh, assuming, pretty soon. So you're basically left with Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. And then, I guess, you know, Brizango, <laughs> you know, like... It, there's not much there, so it's like, unfortunately, Uso's New Day, like, you guys might just be against each other again forever, but uh, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the next step is for those guys, whether, you know, Gable and Benjamin move up, uh, whether another team emerges somehow, some way, or whatever, but they probably do need to freshen up that division a little bit, I mean, I, I'm on board with seeing the Usos and the New Day face each other for, you know, their eight times or whatever, I could probably be fine with that, but uh, the time will come where it gets a little long in the tooth, but they've been so good for so long, and there's been so many great matches they've had in a row, that it's hard to believe that there'd be a time where you'd get super sick of it. But I'm assuming it's coming pretty soon. But um, I did want to mention before moving on uh, to other matches, though, Xavier Woods. We, we've talked about him a lot on, on, on this show as, as him sort of emerging as, as the other teammate uh, for, for, for Big E while, while Kofi's out. But Xavier, man, I mean, he is – he's a guy who, who – as Consequences Creed was was really rough around the edges, not quite polished, not quite there. Even during a Xavier Woods thing, he was a guy that, you know, fine, but he wasn't spectacular. He has gotten so good lately. I mean, that guy is is awesome. He's one of the better tag workers going right now. I mean, just knows everything, knows when to be in the right spot, knows how to get the crowd to react. Um, Jimmy and Jay, they speak for themselves. But Big E, I mean, there's not enough that you can say about Big E. I mean, this guy should have been a main eventer a long time ago. He's outgrown the New Day. He's so much better than the New Day. Uh, I mean, their act is great and everything is fine, but man, Big E is so good. I mean, that to know what they and, and he's been good for years now. It's like we're we're on like year three of like the Big E is actually a really good thing, and, and the fact that you know after that we're, we're still left with Big E, you know, just being a tag wrestler is a shame because this is a guy that could be a main eventer. This is a guy who could be a star. And I 100 percent believe that. I believe that he could be a top tier star if he really you know was put in that position. But uh, you know, it's, it's WWE, so whether Big E is ever in that position, uh, who knows? But uh, it's a little disappointing there. I'm gonna run down the rest of the card pretty quick because I don't have a ton of strong thoughts about a lot of it. I did want to talk about the main event mostly because that's where I have a lot of my strong thoughts. But uh, you had Randy Orton defeating Rusev. That was just an okay match. It was obviously better than the matches they've had before. But in the end, it was just Randy Orton, you know, winning. And, and you know, it's kind of boring because, you know, <laughs> it's it's Randy Orton. It's, you know, face Randy Orton. He's just kind of going through the motions for a while. And, and Rusev's uh, kind of spinning his wheels as well. So we'll see what happens uh, in the future there. Uh, Baron Corbin surprisingly defeats AJ Styles and Ty Dillinger to win the United States Championship. Ty Dillinger uh, defeated a, um, defeated Corbin uh, earlier. Uh, yeah, he defeated Corbin. Yeah, like uh, the, the prior week on SmackDown. Uh, and people were wondering, well, what the hell? Why didn't Ty Dillinger get you know, a title shot when he's beating the guy that's getting the title shot? Well, then on the pre-show, he you know mentions that he should get a title shot. And, and he gets it here. Uh, he was okay in the match. I mean, the problem with this one, though, is the first half of the match was Baron Corbin like controlling the match. And, and that doesn't really go well. I mean, this thing went 19 minutes and 20 minutes, which is way longer than any Baron Corbin match would go at this point. And it's a possibility that they're testing him to try to see what they have in Baron Corbin and see if there's anything there. But, man, 19 minutes. It, it was excruciating long that first half. Then the second half got really good because then there was a lot of flying around, a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on. Uh, AJ Styles kind of took control of that last half of that match and really got it on the right path. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little brutal there when, when Baron Corbin was the man. Uh, Charlotte Flair versus Natalia. Uh, Natalia is, of course, the, the women's champion. And, and Charlotte... 
defeats her here, but does not win the title because she won by DQ. Uh, you got Jinder Mahal defeating Shinsuke Nakamura in an absolute nothing match. Like, in, like there's I don't know what even to say about this match. It, it, it came, it went, it was over. Nobody will ever remember it. It was, you know, borderline one, two stars, maybe. I mean, like, if you gave it one star, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you. It was just there. Um, it would give Jinder a lot of shit, too. But, but Nakamura's getting his fair share of shit, too. And, and he deserved it because he has not been good. He's he's phoning it in. There's obvious laziness coming from, from Nakamura. He's not really delivering on the level that anybody thought he was. And it, it's just it's unbelievable that this is the same guy that was just the fucking dynamite of, of charisma. I mean, the, the fucking atom bomb of, of charisma for years. The fact that it's just Shinsuke Nakamura, and if I wanted to, I could just easily pass up this match and go, Jinder Mahal defeated Nakamura. Okay, next match. I mean, that, that, and it's not just on WWE. I mean, WWE has done a lot wrong with him, but he hasn't really stepped up to the plate either. And, and man, this is a disaster. And, and you know what? Unfortunately, a lot of us saw it coming. A lot of us look at the track record, but thought maybe Nakamura was different. Maybe, you know, it was, it was undeniable that Nakamura would rise to the top, that the cream would rise to the top. But man, he's just not. And it's just, it's just there. He's just there. There's just nothing interesting about him. He's just a guy that does a lot of funny movements and has a great theme song. I mean, he it's night and day between the NXT Nakamura. And there were some people that, you know, myself included, that thought the NXT Nakamura wasn't even on the same level as the New Japan Nakamura. wasn't even close. This Nakamura, this main roster Nakamura, is, is one-tenth of, you know, what Nakamura was in NXT. It's just unbelievable what they have here. And Mahal's Mahal. I mean, this is what we've signed up for, and this is what we get. So we get a 12-minute nothing match, one star, another really shitty main event. Um, so, you know, I, main event, I, I say main event, third from the top, um, and not really <laughs> advertises the main event as well, but another really just shitty WWE championship match. And it's, it's, it's presented as a nothing title as well. I mean, this show was not in any way presented on them. All the artwork was about Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon. All the bill was about Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon. The main event, you know, the final match to go on is Owens, Shane McMahon. I mean, everything was built towards Shane McMahon and, and Owens. The Mahal Nakamura was just a thing on the show. And the fact that that's the charter title, uh, you know, the title that's in charge of the company or, or in charge of that brand, it's just there. And it's just, it's not doing anything. And then Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler, which uh, <laughs> I laugh about because oh, the finish of this match. And I'm actually going to um, read real quickly from the Wrestling Observer. This is Dave Meltzer. <laughs> and I'm laughing. If you saw this match, I mean, it was it was all right. It was fine. Like, neither of the guys do anything for me. So I get why, <laughs> you know, this match I was never going to probably enjoy unless they just completely... Uh, unless they just completely um, just made it incredible, you know, or, or really busted their ass, but that was never going to happen as well. But here's uh, <laughs> this is the wrestling observer write up Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler. Here's the finish. He goes, Ziggler went for a rolling reverse cradle. Roode reversed it and grabbed the trunks. Ziggler reversed it and grabbed the trunks even harder. Roode reversed it and grabbed the trunks even more than that and got the pin. After the match, Ziggler laid out, laid out Roode with a zigzag. It's so bad. I mean, it's whatever. But the problem, aside from whatever I think about those two guys, you know, whatever, we'll, we'll ignore that. The thing that I hate the most is so you get Rude who who grabs the trunks to get sort of the advantage win, the the cheap win, whatever it is, over Dolph Ziggler. Which okay, fine. Then you've you've established that Rude is the guy that got you know, sort of the cheap win or whatever, and you know he's kind of playing a tweenerish role right now on SmackDown. So okay, so you establish that he you know he will cheat to win if he needs to or whatever. Okay, fine. But then Dolph just goes in there and hits the zigzag on him, and it's just like it's one of those things that WWE does so much where it's just like what what was the point of that? Like it's fifty fifty right there in in seconds. Why even have this match then? If you're if if you want nobody to progress, if you want nothing to move on, if you want nobody to get over, and you want no story to be 
you know, told or anything, then yeah, you, you just have a guy cheat and then the guy lay him out immediately afterwards. Like, wh- why would you do that? Let let the cheating sink in. Let the next week Ziggler go, well, you cheat. You didn't really beat me. You cheated or whatever. You, you know, let it build up a little bit. Let it simmer. Let it, you know, maybe develop a story here. But to have him just go and lay him out immediately is just that immediate 50-50 thing that's just so frustrating when WWE does that. But yeah, the 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 reverse into the reverse into the reverse with everybody holding the trunks was, uh, was, was definitely something special as well. Not to... Not a match that will stand the test of time, but um, yeah. All right, and then the main event, the match that most people are going to talk about from this, Kevin Owens defeating Shane McMahon in a Falls Count Anywhere Hell in a Cell match, and that's uh, somewhat important here to the uh, story of the match. But this match, 39 minutes. <coughs> and if you're watching live, you probably like me, who this match started, I think, you know, I'm Central Time Zone. I believe it was like 9.48 or something like that. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Like, I thought this match was going to go a lot longer. They're going home in, you know, 10 minutes here. Like, Shane's going to climb to the top and, and jump off something and fall down and, and, and die or whatever. And that's going to be it. And that's going to be over. And they're going to be in and out of here in 10 minutes because they know he's getting a little up there in age and he can't really do it. 39 minutes for these guys. It was just incredible what they were able to do. And, and this match, you know, I don't know if it was great. You know, I've seen some people rate it pretty highly. I don't know where I'd rate it. it. It's such a weird match. It's it's hard to even rate on the same scale as like you know standard matches because there was so much interesting stuff about it, and and stories played into it, and stories after the match that I really enjoyed. It, it was just really hard to judge uh, overall as, as a wrestling match. But you know, a lot of those thirty nine minutes were spent uh, with Shane McMahon's horrible punches. Which, dear God, like. You cannot run a promo video before the match that shows that he's in MMA training and shows that he he knows a little bit about mixed martial arts and he's been training with real fighters and all this sort of stuff and he's he's all ready to fight and then he comes out and he throws like the worst punches ever and I'm a man who's you know I've never thrown a punch in my life a, a real you know punch for a fight reason or whatever but I I, I am positive I'm hundred percent positive that I can throw better punches than Shane I'm, I'm positive every single one of you listening every single one even even from the Isle of Man even you guys as well even all four hundred of our listeners are from the Isle of Man I'm confident that each and every Every single one of you can throw a better punch than Shane McMahon. Those things are horrible. And I'm not the punches guy. Of course, you know, there are people that, that really are, are big on like, oh, that, guy, that guy's punches look like shit. So, I, you know, I, he sucks as a wrestler or whatever. I'm not that type of guy. But, man, Shane's punches are so bad. And uh, I feel bad, you know, picking on him about those. But it, you can't be like Mr. I train MMA and then that's how your punches look. And they just look shit. And the problem is that guys have to sell them too. If guys, if he was throwing those punches, the guys just laughed at him and shrugged him off and then like threw him off, the, you know, shoved him to the ground and was like, what the hell is that? That's a shitty punch or whatever. I'd be okay with it, but they don't. They have to sell it, and it just looks like such garbage when they have to sell it. So, uh, yeah, that, that that was that. But a lot of the match was spent on the top of the cage, and that's going to be the big talking point uh, during a lot of this. Um, it looked like at a point Shane had been laid out on a table. Uh, Owens you know, teased that he was going to do something through the table. Then he climbs up to the top of the cell, and this is where, this was so tense, because I'm wondering, you know, Kevin Owens is a guy who, who will take some risks from time to time. He's a guy who was willing to bust his ass. I was so worried that he was doing some sort of senton off the top or or something like that, because he was on the top of the cage and kept hinting time and time again that he was going to jump off the side on a Shane McMahon who's sitting there. And they had added crash pads to all the announce tables, so you knew that they had put a little bit of extra padding there. So if he wanted to do something insane like that, it was like, all right, well, you know, that'll cushion his fall a little bit. But damn, like, that's... That's tough. That's gonna be really rough, especially on Shane. Like he's gonna put all of his body weight on Shane. Like that. That. Oh man. And there was a tense there. And 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 Owens built it up perfectly. He would run to the the side, 
act like he was about to do it and then like stop and then like kind of look at it a little bit. Then he looked at the crowd and the crowd would cheer and do it, do it, do it. You know, the crowd, they didn't care. Even though they didn't want Owens to win, they still, you know, wanted him to jump off the top of the cage and do something silly or whatever. He hints towards it a little bit. He doesn't do it. People get, you know, their people are kind of not necessarily booing, but sort of they're uneasy a little bit. So then Shane gets up and he climbs to the top of the cell. And these two proceed to have the scariest, <laughs> like, 10 minutes I've ever seen in a wrestling match. I mean, I, I've never been so tense. I've never been so nervous in a wrestling match ever. These dudes are throwing, you know, buckle. You, you know, Owens is doing pop-up power bombs. He's doing sentons. They're doing body slams. They're doing pile drive. They're doing just tons of shit on the top of the cell. And it's just like, oh, man. Like, if that thing gives, and I know it's reinforced. I, I know it's they've done everything they can to, to, to make sure that guys don't fall through it like McFoley did. And... Uh, but still, it's just like, oh man, if, if something does go wrong and things go wrong, like that, that's we, we know that in pro wrestling. I mean, especially in WWE. I mean, they know that things can go wrong and, and people can be hurt from that. To have those guys just doing what they're doing on the top of that cell, I, I, I know they reinforced, I know, but it was still like, oh God, if, if something happens here. And that was some of the intrigue of the matches, is you really wanted to see, oh geez, like it was one of those weird things where you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but you couldn't not watch because you wanted to make sure you saw if it happened or or be able to be there when when whatever it was happened and, and to see if the guys were okay and, and make sure they were okay or whatever. It was, it was a weird, it was a weird feeling because you didn't you didn't want to look away. But you you wanted to look away, but then you didn't you, you you knew you didn't want to. You knew you wouldn't look away, but you kind of were like cringing and and kind of nervous because you know, there was numerous times as well. And, and and one thing that a lot of people pointed out is, um, you know, when mankind goes to the cell, you know, Taker choke slams him, and, and and the part that mankind is on, that part of the cell breaks, and mankind comes falling to the, the mat or whatever. But in this situation, especially when they do like the pop up power bomb, like both those guys are on the same you know area of, of the cage. So if that thing fell, they both fall, and that's that's brutal for both guys because it means like not only is the one guy gonna fall and 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 you know smack his head, but then the other guy's coming at at full speed as well and could hit him on the head, and there's just a lot of stuff that could have gone wrong with that. So it was a really nervous match as well. Uh, and then they did it. I mean, they were teasing that you know Owens was gonna toss um, Shane off the <coughs> toss him off the side. Um, or off the top of the cage, I should say, and that looked nerve nerve wracking as well. I mean, there was a point where it looked like he was going to do a pop up power bomb, and I was like, "Oh dear God, don't do a pop up power bomb off the top of the cell through a table." Thank God they came to their senses. Uh, both the guys went down a little bit on the side. Owens eventually did, similar to the Shawn Michaels spot in at Hell in a Cell '97. The spot that at the time was like revolutionary for WWF was was a guy going off the side through a table. Um, the problem was a lot of the fans booed, and, and and Twitter was a buzz of people kind of coming up with their own theory. You know, people saying, "Oh well, you know, you, all these people booing, you're assholes, you're terrible, you know, how dare you or whatever." The problem though is that they hinted for 20 minutes that somebody was going to go off the top, and nobody did. So that when you get something that's that's less than that, there's going to be a natural inclination to boo. You're not going to necessarily say, "Yay, everybody's safe." When you're there and, and they're sort of hyping it up, and, and and that was what it was intended to do. It was intended, you know. Owens on the top of that cell, telling people, you know, hey, cheer for me, and I'm going to do this. Hey, you know, I want to hear you, I want to hear you, I want to hear you, and then not doing it. I mean, that's built for that reaction, that reaction of, oh, geez, oh, you, you blew, you know. Yes, it's in one sense to be safe, but it's also to kind of get that reaction out of the crowd. So, so people getting mad at people booing. I mean, that's that's why they booed. I mean, they're gonna boo if you if you tease for 20 minutes that you're gonna see some, something awesome or or something crazy or something that you've never seen before, and then you see something that's relatively mundane. You're you're naturally gonna boo. I mean, it's 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 sort of the inclination of, of wrestling fans. But uh, Shane McMahon was not to be uh, deterred, though. He, after you know throwing Owens through the table or after crashing to the table, 
uh, Shane McMahon goes to the top, uh, puts puts Owens on another table, another table that had a crash pad as well. Uh, McMahon goes to the top like he's going to do his the dive that he did to Undertaker at WrestleMania. Uh, he dives and then he crashes and burns because Evan Owens gets thrown out of the way before Shane McMahon falls. And uh, yeah, this is one of the one, really great story. And, and I'm very critical often of, of WWE production and WWE camera work. This one was was on the money because what they do, the, the, the announcers don't know who it is. They're like, well, what happened? Owens was off the table. I, I didn't see what happened. Like, you know, he let he got out of the way just before Shane got it, and that, that was cool too because they didn't they didn't right away say, oh my god, it's you know, Sami Zayn. We're gonna talk about it in a second. It's not. Oh my god, it's it's Zayn. What is he doing? What is he? They didn't hit it over the head like that. They they sort of let you think, hey, what what the hell? What happened? to Owens just slide off or whatever. Then you see that somebody pulled him off, but you don't see who it is exactly. And the announcers don't see who it is exactly either. So they're sort of hinting towards it too. Hey, who is this? Who was this? You know, who, who could it possibly be or whatever? Then the cameraman does a really awesome shot. The cameraman is, is on the ground. Either he, you know, <clears throat> looks like he maybe fell. Uh, I don't know if that was the shot they were exactly going for. <clears throat> but it worked perfectly because then it sort of goes around the Spanish announce table. I forgot what, what, what announce table. Maybe the American announce table. It goes around the table and you see Sami Zayn. They're in street clothes, looking up. And it's just like, you don't necessarily see it. And the announcer's like, who was that? Who was that? Oh, my God, it's Sami Zayn. And then they watch the replay. Oh, my God, it was Sami Zayn that pulled Kevin Owens off the, the table or whatever and let Shane crash and burn. And, and, and for the record, uh, Owens then would uh, get would, would pin Shane McMahon due to help from, from Sami Zayn. Zayn would you know pick up Owens and put him on there uh, for him. So that was kind of the story there. But, uh, yeah, it was a really, really great production as well. Shane McMahon, you know, crash and burn. They showed that replay a lot. He looked, that was a brutal fall, too. I really, if he's smart, he doesn't do those anymore, man. He's getting a little out there in age, especially when your kids are in the front row. Like, you're going to bring your kids there? Like, what if something goes wrong, man? That's just, that's nuts. I mean, I know you're a McMahon. I know you, you lack, you know, logic because you're a McMahon. But come on, dude, don't don't bring your kids to that. Do, do it on your own if you're going to do it. But really, I mean, I think we've reached the point where we don't need to see McMahon doing that anymore because it, it, it's getting closer and closer to the point where, where he's going to get seriously hurt and somebody's going to get seriously hurt. It's, it's a fun little you know attraction every so often but it's unsustainable and i really hope that that you know we've seen it twice now this year that he's going off the you know or, or yeah yeah no no it's been um no it was last year it was, it was the prior years wrestlemania but either way it, we, we've seen enough of it after a while i mean he needs to kind of chill out on it a little bit because it's just it, it's 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 dangerous and and i'm i'm worried about it too because like you know this is an older dude and, and he's bringing his kids there and he's just crashing and burning and stuff so it's just it looks pretty bad but um the real story I want to talk about, though, is, is, is the Zane Owens story. Um, so initially, you know, everybody's going nuts about you know, Zane turning heel, turning heel, turning heel. And I was quick on, on Twitter, and some other people on Twitter were mentioning as well, that, that he's not necessarily a heel. You can just be a very good friend of a heel and not necessarily be a heel. Because Generico did that, too. El Generico, obviously, Sami Zayn's uh, previous uh, incarnation. Or, I don't know. Am I unmasking El Generico? I apologize if, if I've ruined it for anybody. But, uh, you know, ruined the, the, the Tijuana Orphanage story of El Generico. But, uh, you know, there were times where Owens, or seen at the time, was, was definitely a heel, 100% a heel. And his teammate Generico wasn't, but was a willing participant in a lot of the stuff. So, I, you know, if that's a heel to you, then I guess he was a heel. I always saw him as, as a friend, like a loyal friend that, you know, no matter what his, his shitty best friend was doing, he was going to go along with it. And that doesn't necessarily make you a bad guy either. You know, eventually he comes to his senses. And eventually, hypothetically in the story, Zane might come to his senses and, and realize that his friend's shitty or whatever. But I kind of had to walk that back a little bit because on SmackDown they had Sami Zayn cut a promo and he cut a promo as a heel. Like you know, I and, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's a it, really good promo. And 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 Zayn, I think is going to excel in the role because he's he's going to excel in everything that he does. 
And that's, you know, really what I take away from this entire story. Because when it was all said and done, some people kind of were like, eh, I don't really like the story. It's kind of boring or whatever. I, no, no matter what, if it's Owens and Zayn, whether it's Steen and Generico, whether it's, you know, in NXT, whether it's in WWE main roster, whether it's in Ring of Honor, whether it's in PWG, whatever, those two dudes make magic. And they're going to make magic here again. There's no chance in hell that those dudes won't make this story something important, that they won't make this story something interesting. You know, Owens is a guy who, what can you honestly say that he's done in WWE that, that has sucked? What has he done that he's not made work? I mean, that guy's made every single thing work. He's going to continue to make everything work because he's just that type of guy. And Zayn's that way too. I mean, Zayn has been spinning his wheels, so it's great to see him in something important, see him doing something important. But um, those two dudes are going to make magic. So I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what they come up with. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was a really interesting story there. So Zayn, uh, as I was mentioning SmackDown here a little bit, um, he comes out and, and kind of doubles down on the heel thing where it's really not him as a best friend or willing participant. I mean, he is not a guy that's sort of there because... You know, only because Owens is his best friend, he makes, you know, mention that, hey, I try to be the nice guy and, you know, what it were to get me, it got me nowhere. You know, I try to be nice to Shane McMahon and he ignores me. I go to Raw and they don't do anything with me. So it was pretty cool. It, it was kind of, I mean, obviously it wasn't the same level as, you know, the pipe bomb, the CM Punk pipe bomb, but it was in the same family of promos where it's like Sami Zayn pouring his heart out and there's a lot of truth into what he's saying. There's a lot of, of you know, him being the nice guy and, and, and getting shit on and him being, you know, made fun of for being the guy that talks a lot. So, you know, backstage segments now, he talks a lot and everybody ignores him and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Stuff. And and there's uh, some cool stuff in that story where you know Zayn has a legit beef for, for being upset about where he's been in the company and and he looks at Owens his, his former best friend and now you know returning best friend and he went on a different path he was an asshole to everybody and and look where it got him he got him the universal title it got him you know in in the main events it got him in big spots or whatever so Zayn sees that and says I want to be that and I want to do that. And that's the story then, which is, is kind of cool because I thought we were going to get a little bit more of the Generico Steen thing where, where, where Generico is just kind of along for the ride and, and does it because he's really good friends with, with, with Owens or, you know, some people, <clears throat> some people mentioned on Twitter as well that a possible story could be, hey, you know, you, we're, we're good friends, but we're better enemies. And, you know, if Shade of Man takes you out and there's nothing left of you, then there's nothing for me to take from you when I eventually do beat you or whatever, which is a kind of cool story too. But, you know, that one's a little bit longer in the in the distance or whatever. But I, I, I love the story no matter what of these two teaming up again because, A, it means that we're going to see great interactions between the two. Uh, B, it, it gives Sami Zayn something to do, which is really awesome because Sami Zayn's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Uh, so seeing him in something important, seeing him in doing something that has actual storyline, you know, meaning to it is going to be incredible. Um, you know, C, I don't know, did I, was I doing one, two? I was doing A, B, C, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> C, uh, potential for tag matches as well. Like, you know, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, those two dudes, I mean, obviously it speaks for themselves that Generico and Steam were just an incredible tag team. So I'm looking forward to it. It's, you know, potential Owens, you know, Zayn tag matches. I mean, I, I don't, they're obviously not going for the titles. Maybe they'll go for the tag titles. Maybe that's our, our secret team that goes to the tag titles or whatever. But I assume it's a bigger, you know, picture story for, for, for Owens and Zayn. Uh, that's pretty cool too, because we're going to see some more matches with those two guys as well, and then I think it adds another dynamic to, to Kevin Owens as well, now he's got sort of, he was great with Jericho as his sort of lackey, or, or you know, the, the, the hanger on or whatever, and I got Sami Zayn in that role as well, and, and another part too is that when eventually they do break it up, and when eventually it does, you know, go south again, which, you know, their relationship is always going to go south, they are, are are destined to do this thing forever, um, that then it's going to be another great, it's going to be a, a, a rekindling of, of that feud, and it's such a great feud as well, and it's got you know, produce some great matches as well. So really looking forward to that as well. And I think it's just a great story. Um, but yeah, that was, that kind of capped off the, uh, the hell in a cell there, but yeah, I was really interested in, in, in that main event. It was a tense, weird main event. And I really liked the story and I'm really looking forward to where it's going to go. So I don't say that often about SmackDown and I don't say that often about WWE, but this is one story that you know, I'm really invested in and, and the camera work and, and the production of it and the storytelling of it, what has been great so far. I'm sure, you know, I'm trying to, 
trying to be optimistic here. I'm trying not to be the pessimist here, but uh, it probably will, you know, fall on its face. It probably will suck when it's all said and done. We'll go back and look at this and go, oh, geez, remember when we thought that'd be a really good story and then it, it absolutely sucked or whatever. But I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be positive here. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, we'll see. Ho- hopefully, hopefully it does stay, uh, stay positive there, and, and it is a good story because there's, you know, there's a lot of potential there to make it that good and make it something important. So let, let's let's hope they do. Uh, uh, do stick with that, but uh, yeah, some other stuff though I want to talk about before we get out of here for the week on uh, the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast or the whatever the, <laughs> the weird uh, whatever this is of the flagship. Uh, do want to let you know that this week uh, we have the Evolve shows as well. We'll have reviews uh, of both Evolve shows as well. Those are streaming on WWE dot com. Um, so the full same thing is obviously still an ongoing. Uh, situation. Uh, really quickly though, I want to talk about um the Neville situation. So um, you know, I'm sure Joe talked a lot about uh that in the the first part of our show. Uh, but as far as the Neville thing, I mean, this is there's a lot of people that I see that are saying, oh, well, you know, he had these chances, he had this, he had this, he had this, he had this. I don't understand. I don't understand. You know what? You don't have to understand. If the guy wasn't happy, leave your job. You know what I mean? Like he has no as. Until WWE starts handing out guaranteed contracts with pensions and guaranteed contracts with insurance and all that sort of stuff, you are well in your right to just say fuck this and get out of there. If you know if 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 it means it to you to, to you know forfeit your downside or whatever the hell it is or or whatever, yeah, you can leave. If you don't like your job, just leave, man. It, it does. It's it, we shouldn't. We're breaking it down in, in tons of different senses of of why did he leave or oh this doesn't make sense or oh we shouldn't have. You know, yeah. If if maybe you think he's dumb that that maybe you thought that he was getting all the opportunities that he should have gotten or whatever. Then okay, that's your prerogative. He doesn't though. He didn't think he got the opportunities. He didn't think that 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 maybe his contract w- w- was structured properly. Maybe he didn't like you know being on two hundred five live. Maybe he didn't like Enzo Moore and what he got or whatever. It doesn't matter if you don't think it's justifiable or if you don't think that he you know oh well no he he did he was all in all the pay per views and all this sort of stuff and oh well he was the focal point of two hundred five live and oh he was a cruiserweight champion or whatever. If you want to think he's a whiny little baby, that that okay fine. You can think he's a whiny little baby, but I'm all on board with guys saying fuck the, you know if if guys think that they're worth more. If guys think they can do more, if guys want to bet on themselves, I am all in favor of guys betting on themselves. And 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 you know what? Le- leaving the competition, leaving WWE, and and, and going elsewhere is, is good for everybody. I mean, you you might kind of roll your eyes at that or whatever, but you know whether he goes to Europe, whether he goes to New Japan, whether he goes to Ring of Honor, or whatever, WWE is the juggernaut. And anytime you can sort of put some chinks in their armor. It's not the worst thing in the world because it's better for everybody. It means more jobs for more people. It means more, you know, opportunities for more people. It means more, you know, eyes on, on on products or whatever. So if he goes to some UK promotion and a bunch of new people watch it because Neville is on there or whatever, good for them. Good for everybody working on that show. Good for that promotion and good for Neville for you know betting on himself. But <coughs> we're seeing more and more some guys realizing that maybe there is life outside of this, and maybe if you're not happy, that go out, go elsewhere. I mean, Neville's a guy who. You know, I don't know what his next plans are. I have no idea. But hypothetically, we know New Japan will be in the running for him. And obviously, you'd be silly not to go for for a guy like Neville. So he's a guy who can maybe slide into the junior division in in, in New Japan. And maybe people roll their eyes at that and go, well, that's not much of an upgrade. But think about it from this standpoint that even if he's in the juniors of New Japan, he's not exclusive to that. He can go to the U.K., he can go work, you know, indie dates around here. He can go, uh, you know, work Ring of Honor. He can do other stuff like that. He can he can still, you know, do a bunch of stuff and and 
and really probably make more money than he's making in WWE because there's been rumors as well and some some stuff that we've sort of seen from people and, and it's been reported online as well that one of the issues may have been, you know, WrestleMania payouts, you know, WrestleMania DVD payouts, you know, being on the pre-show at WrestleMania, uh, possibly video game payouts that maybe there wasn't a great thing. There's, you know, the 205 Live guys got, you know, different contracts than some of the other guys and there was some rumblings that maybe Neville got lumped into that when he went to 205 Live. So... <coughs> I don't know exactly why he, he left, and I don't know that we necessarily need to know why, or I don't know necessarily that we have to break down why. If the guy just one day decided, fuck this, I don't want to do this, and decided, hey, I don't, you know, I, this is dumb, he's well on his right to do it, and it used to be a thing where guys could just do that, and it, you know, the wrestling business in a lot of ways was, you know, overall a little healthier when guys were able to have that leverage to just say, nah, that's stupid, I'm out, like, this, is, this that's dumb, I'll go somewhere else, and and that's healthy, that's good. You want a, a, a business where that can happen. You don't want a business where a, a guy like Adolph Ziggler just sits in WWE and rots for years and years and years. You, you would, you know, I'd be fine if Big E one day goes, you know what? No, this is dumb. I could be a star. I could go somewhere and, and, and be great and, and and whatever. You know, you know, the, you never know the next guy that that, that does it. But you know, I saw Austin Aries do it, and and people sort of rolled their eyes at him, and and maybe there were some people that didn't quite understand it. But I'm all on board with that. If if you don't like it, if 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 you're not liking it, you know, obviously he got you know fired. I think technically, but he's a guy that that. You know, there was rumblings that he was going to leave anyway. So whether it be, you know, that he left on his own accord or he was fired or whatever, that was still, you know, not not actually the same situation as Neville, but pretty close. But the Neville thing, I mean, this is a guy who who is a pretty big deal in that company and, and, and had a good run. So if he walks out and says, this is dumb and I'm, I'm, I'm done or whatever, that's a, you know, it's a big blow to WWE and it's a, you know, big boon to, to the rest of the, um, the independence, the UK, you know, Japan, wherever he goes, wherever his next step is, that's a big free agent out there doing stuff. And, and Neville's a guy that, you know, unlike a Jack Swagger, unlike, you know, some of these other guys we talk about on like a Ryback or whatever, Neville's a guy that, I don't think he's going to just coast. I don't think he's a guy that's going to say, you know, you got to pay me, you know, $4,000 per shot or I'm not coming or I'm not flying. I got to be first class and all that. I don't think he's that type of guy. I think, yes, he is a guy that, that one of his dreams was to go to WWE, but he's still, you know, he came up in the Dragon Gate system in, in, in some respects. He came up in the indie system a little bit more. So he's a guy that I think has a little bit better of a head on his shoulder, or, you know, better uh, head on his shoulder. So, yeah, I think I, I think he's a guy that's going to, to be popping up a lot of different places. And if he does, it's a great idea because he's going to make a lot of money. And he may, he might make more money. I mean, he can go, you know, he looks at the Cody Young Bucks mold and, and goes, man, those guys are, are, are independent, doing their own thing, doing whatever they want, calling their own shots, you, you know, winning all the time, being top tier stars. I can be that. I can do that. And and he's not wrong. <laughs> Neville can do that. So uh, I hope he does. And, and I'm all for it. I mean, we, we, we as wrestling fans, even if you're a WWE fan, even if you're a stout WWE fan, you should still want there to be that you you still want wrestlers to have the ability to be able to do that because what that means is that the wrestling business is healthy in one respect that these guys think they can bounce and go somewhere else and another reason too is is it it WWE doesn't want that to happen. WWE doesn't want guys walking out. So then, then they kind of step up their game a little bit. Maybe then this is a kick in the ass to go, okay, look, we got to, you know, this, this is a great talent that just walked out on us. This is a big deal. We got to think about this. We have to, you know, really, really comprehend what's going on here. And, and we saw that in the 90s with the Monday Night Wars where, you know, competition is good. It, it brings out the best in everybody. And, and you know, it, whether, you know, there is a number two company ever that, that, that rivals WCW for WWE, whatever, you know, there might not be. But competition is, is competition. And even if there's, you know, WWE versus the world, if the world is at least, you know, somewhat in the mix, if the world has some leverage, then that's good. Then that's, and that's what's happening. I mean, we see it with Cody. 
Cody is a guy who, you know, whether we like him or not, he's a guy that's used the world as leverage. And, and the world has been his oyster since then. He can go to Japan. He can go to Ring of Honor. He can get indie shots. He can do this sort of stuff. He can call his own shots and, and you know, decide if he wants to win or lose and <laughs> decide what he's going to sell and, and make all the money from his T-shirts and, and do it. So that's pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things that he can do with that. Uh, the Young Bucks are guys that have obviously bucked that trend a little bit as well. Um, Kenny Omega, for the time being, is a guy that, that, that sort of bucked that trend as well. So, yeah, I mean, more power to Neville if he does this. And, and again, you should be happy that a guy did this. I mean, yeah, it might suck because you really like Neville and WWE or, or whatever it is, but you should be happy that the wrestling business is healthy enough where Neville thinks that he can just, just leave and, and then it's going to be fine and that he's going to be able to, you know, one day, you know, fall back on his feet. And, and we'll see when that does eventually happen. And uh, what his next moves are, and maybe maybe he's not maybe he's not done. Maybe he comes back in. They welcome him with open arms. But uh, walking out before Raw and and forcing you know a, a quickie title change and a quickie you know change to all your plans. Uh, I don't know. It might be might be a while for Neville. I don't know if Neville has that cachet with <laughs> old Vince McMahon to to do that. But we'll see. Uh, whatever his next step is, uh, I'm pretty excited to see that. But uh, yeah, I think that's about it for us on uh, this episode of the Voice of Wrestling Flash. As I mentioned, thanks for sticking with us on this kind of weird, uh, disjointed episode here with Joe doing the first half and me doing the second little WrestleMania <laughs> style here. But um, anyway, uh, that's it for the show. I don't want to say for Joe, <laughs> this is rich. I mean, I guess Joe already signed off on his own. Anyways, uh, make sure to check out voiceofwrestling.com, uh, the rest of our great podcast. Also, voiceofwrestling.com slash forums. We'll be back next week with our uh, show with Joe and Rich back together. At last, finally. So anyway, for Joe Lanza, I guess I'll say it. I'm Rich Grage, and we'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Podcast. Take care. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.